is the podcast to the show. You can listen to or know. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We are here uh, doing Ted Lasso, uh, Season 3, Episode 2, Part 2. I don't want to go to Chelsea. I don't know why, because it was one of the best episodes I've ever seen of Ted Lasso. I'm constant. Every time I watch it, I I love it more and more. Um, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, with me, as always, uh, is Coach Castleton. I am Coach Castleton. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> we are one, Coach Castleton and I. Um, <laughs> oh, that's an inauspicious start. Uh, with me, as always, is Coach Bishop. What's going on? What's up, Coach? Uh, behind Coach Bishop, you might hear um, stirrings of a 15 pound Maltese rescue. Um, uh, who goes by the moniker Biggie Smalls? And and Biggie is it's trying to behave. How old is Biggie? We think Biggie is six months. He's yeah, six months. Six months. So he is. Yeah, so, he is uh, feisty little guy. That's right. Um, and uh, Coach and I are obviously joined by our boss Emily Chambers. Yeah. So by jump right in, that means I'm going to tell a very quick story. Uh, last week, one of my favorite entertainment properties did a live virtual show that I couldn't watch last week. So I saved it for Monday night. Uh, because it's a comedy show after dinner Monday, I got extremely high and popped it on. Hated the vibes immediately. I think maybe like I turned it on and I was like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh no no, I, I like, hate that. Yeah. I hate, because you oh, say you say when you save something, you're yes. like, oh yeah, this is yes. we know this is this is money. Right. This yeah. is gonna be so good. And then yeah. I was like, oh, I think these three people had a fight backstage and the energy is extremely uncomfortable. I'm like, let's just shut this off. This is fine. Let's go on Twitter. Maybe they're doing something funny. They were not. They were doing terribleness because it's Twitter and usually it's a hellscape. And I'm like, this all right, we gotta reset. Luckily, I have a friend who um, has a little bit more drug experience than me. So I always think to myself, what would drug friend do? Usually it's something about putting on a hat or blankets or eating something. So I did those three. I got uh, coffee, ice cream, and a brownie. And I sat on the couch and I listened to that one chill Aphex song for like 15, 20 minutes. Immediately better. Immediately everything was better. The world was a magical place again. Everything was back on track. But I thought, don't go back to the podcast and don't go back to Twitter. Instagram is safe because uh, thanks to my niece's input, it's now mostly videos of pigs making friends with other animals. And that's exactly what I was looking for. The first thing that Instagram shows me is Brendan Hunt at the Truman Bowling Alley in the White House bowling a strike and then doing a shimmy dance of celebration back over to the rest of the group. Wow. It was amazing. It was wow. like Ted Lasso reached through the internet to make sure that I was going to have a great night. And they did it. Oh, my God. That is. <laughs> it's like now the podcast uh, includes a sermon. <laughs> yes. I don't know how to process that fully. But I do kind of feel like we should sing a hymn now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, 
like I don't go to church, but yes, I was like some somebody was watching out for me. It's phenomenal. So thank oh, you to shit. Ted Lasso for that. Yeah, I mean you and Big and us all, boss, and um, <laughs> uh, I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, that's probably my favorite, favorite of your intros so far. I, I will say that, uh, when we first started this, um, we, this was edited out, believe it or not, out of the, out of the first episode because we started recording and then we launched four, four or five days ago. So in season three, we launched, um, uh, less than a week ago was when we first dropped all of the episodes we had recorded. And um, I had to edit the first episode because we had started talking about how Ted Lasso we thought was an, a quote unquote important show. We said we want to highlight this because it's important. And so it, fe- it felt like a lot of validation for us, you know, when when the whole cast was at the White House and you know mental health is put front and center. And and we just go, this is this it feels like it feels like a win uh, for for all uh, Ted Lasso fans everywhere. And and for anyone who's listening. Uh, in addition to to some uh, insightful uh, Ted Lasso uh, know-how and knowledge and uh, information, we also can serve as your personal drug friend with, you know, uh, brownies and, and blankets and, and a hat. the appropriateness. Oh, yeah, a hat, Always right. put on a hat. Amazing. Um, Ted Lasso, uh, Season 3, Episode 2, Part 2, um, I Don't Want to Go to Chelsea, written by Sasha Garon. And directed by the outstanding MJ Delaney, who uh, I forgot to mention in the first part. Um, one thing I want to mention is the uh, in an effort to for Apple never to miss a product placement uh, beat. Um, you know, you always hear text the the Apple uh, you know text sounds and things like that. Um, we also have uh, Ted's breakup mix is available on Apple Music. And did you guys happen to take a look at that? I did not. I should have known it was there because I do have the Roy is sorry for not understanding Keeley playlist, yes. which I'm planning to just sort of play and cry as I think about the demise of that relationship. <laughs> Damn you, Roy Kent, and your fit. No, um, <laughs> But yeah, I, mean, I will definitely go check that out. I am sure it is equal parts sad and poignant and hilarious. I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give you a quick rundown of of uh, I don't know I don't, I'm not gonna do all of them. It might take too long, but uh, opens up with a "Girl from the North Country" by Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash, and then it's over by Roy Orbison. Um, and I was like, oof, okay. And, and then um, actually, maybe I'll just run quickly. Don't speak by no doubt. Uh, against all odds, the the original, not the remastered one from the uh, Phil Collins from uh, the Phil Collins song from the movie. Um, then some gin blossoms till I hear it from you, and right into Crazy by Patsy Cline, um, X Factor by Lauren Hill, Maggie May by Rod Stewart. Oh, so hard to say goodbye to yesterday, boys to men. These arms are mine, Otis Redding. And then from Otis Redding to Weezer, say it ain't so. Um, then from Weezer to Les Mis, uh, on my own, uh, 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 heart wrenching uh, Les Mis. Uh, so is that Eponine? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, all I wanted from Kansas, Linger from the Cranberries. Uh, rest in peace, Dolores. Uh, bye 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 by Insync. Um, Yes. Somebody that I used to know, Gautier, 
featuring Kimbra, if you guys remember that one, and the the, the corner of the the world that it <laughs> took by storm when it yeah. first came out. Um, you ought to know Alanis Morissette, Love Hurts Nazareth, Pictures of You by The Cure, and this is the extended one. I actually I'm, the four minute version is one of my favorites uh, all time, and but I don't I don't really know the seven minute version, which is the one they they added. Um, Torn. Natalie Imbruglia, and um, she's gone. Daryl Hall and John Oates, which is I hadn't heard in years when I played it. It's a, such a great song. Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. Without You, Harry Nilsson, which is uh, also like just hadn't heard in so long, was amazing. Knowing Me, Knowing You by uh, ABBA. Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division and Separate Ways, of course, by Journey. So that is a hell of a playlist. <laughs> for people that don't know the songs, I was like, God damn, I enjoyed this. Yeah. And what I love about it, I mean, is some of the ones you kind of paused on, the eclectic mix, so love that, but that it absolutely makes all the sense for Ted. Um, whoever does music supervision for this show or however they handle that particular piece deserves their kudos that they'll probably never receive because people don't think about that nearly as much but the music for this show has been consistently amazing like just wow would not have thought to use that and it's just great and that list just feels like yeah just a great example of i believe with all my heart that ted lasso has a cd he took the time to make with these songs in this order for this reason I there's not a shred of doubt. So even though, of course, yeah. no, the cynical so, side so, of me gets it with Apple, so like another part of me goes, well, really well done because the cynical side of me is not going to stop me from downloading that or playing that playlist. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I will say I felt like um, it, so Jason Sudeikis does a fundraising concert each year called Thunder Gong. It's for Steps of Faith, which helps veterans get um, prosthetics. So I know for a fact that within the past couple of years, he had Kansas Kansas City's own The Get Up Kids, one of my favorite bands. Definitely they could have been on this playlist. There's a song called uh, I'm a Loner Dottie, A Rebel, a Pee Wee Herman shout out. The chorus is because I'm afraid to try. Like that's got Roy Kent written all over it. Breaking up with Keeley because the relationship he's worried about the relationship falling out. Um, and also very second, very quick yes. story of this podcast already. Uh, one of the other bands that Jason Sudeikis had at Thundergong is Dashboard Confessional. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him at all. It is the quintessential yeah, white boy, peak white boy breakup music. Like, there's a song <laughs> called Bitter Pill where he seriously wails. Like, at the end of it, it's just screaming. His girlfriend broke up with him, and he had to write 14 albums about it. But the reason I bring both of them up, in addition to both being in Thundergong, the Get Up Kids went on tour with Dashboard Confessional in 2003, and broke up in 2004 because apparently just being around that level of like romantic wow. <laughs> failure and ruin means that the entire band had to give up their relationships and go their separate ways. It's amazing. So great playlist. I have some notes, but great playlist. Is it, is it best excuses? What's that dashboard 
dashboard confessional song that they oh heard uh, about your trip best deception best deception yes yes, yes, yes yes I was trying to sing it I was mm-hmm. singing it in my head mm-hmm. when you said it um I'm I'm waiting for blood to flow to my fingers I'll be all right when my hands get yeah warm. like Jesus yeah yeah Christ, yeah, Chris yeah. Caraba, you're killing me here yeah guess I should have heard of it yeah. from you I, I I really uh really really it's good it's funny how those oh, it's great. how those breakup songs hit. Even when you get to be in a uh, dusty old fart, um, yeah, uh, you know, and then oh and then God. somebody like uh, uh, what was the song that uh, Olivia Rodrigo had a song my daughter was listening yes. to, the one where I drove by your street, or, yes. and I'm like, oh my God, this is driver's license, yeah, driver's license, yeah. yeah, 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 and people they had made yeah. co- look at Coach, God, a Coach, <laughs> totally, <laughs> nope, <Completely> nothing, <sighs> Coach, yeah. you would love it, it's like none yeah. of this. You would, you would love it. You would love it. You would love. You love both of these songs. Sure. Yeah, we're gonna send these to you. I will say, Rodrigo, Rodrigo, I have uh, heard of everything up yeah. to there. Was y'all having a conversation that I mm-hmm, just? Mm-hmm. I and love you. I'm the, glad you. I'm glad you were enjoying each other. But mm-hmm. so here is the only problem with Dashboard Confessional. As much as I love them. If I listened to that album for the first time now as a 40-year-old, would absolutely would not hit. Like, you can't uh, tell people to listen to it. I, I was 19 and found out that uh, my boyfriend, who wasn't, I guess, actually my boyfriend at the time, was cheating on me with another woman that we both worked with. So if you think I did not play the absolute shit out of that album for about six months straight... It was perfect. Perfect for the time. If I listened to it now, I'd be like, this is whiny and self-indulgent. I can't. Uh, and on cue, the the uh, sirens of Chicago. Always. Right. Yeah. Um, I will say that the uh, – so Marcus Mumford wrote the, uh, the t- uh, Ted Lasso theme uh, and performed it. Uh, uh, Tony Von Purview is the uh, music supervisor. So uh, kudos. Um, we open – we open up uh, the part. So we had just finished uh, Rebecca getting a call from her mom and, and Deborah, and Deborah hangs up on her. So she has to go to scream therapy. It's her favorite bit. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, Higgins walks in. I have an update on the meeting with Zava. Rebecca says, great. Zava doesn't want to meet with us. Uh, just another little joke construction that, right? I mean, it's- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of the. Um- the gala when when he was charged with finding new uh, new entertainment, Robbie Williams, and he and Robbie oh, had to yes. replace Robbie Williams, and he his answers were so he so clear, but like what was missing from underneath it is like part of your job is to get past that part and make it happen, and so I just think yes. it's hilarious, and he's like Zava doesn't want to meet with us. Well. What'd you do about that? I mean, like, what the, like is that the is this the end of our conversation right now? So I just thought it was very. I thought that was very funny. You know, do you think do you think Rebecca knows what the real Adele looks like? Energy. <laughs> yes. I was like, yes. what the hell? As uh, as kind as we are, uh, Coach, I know that, um, or as kind as we try to be, uh, I know we do prefer that school of like, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. Seriously, like, just at least. Ha- Take a crack at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, let me know. Let me know. I don't want to do all this. So, yes, I went to his hotel and I called and I did. And I like, tell me a story. Give me, give me, let me see what happened here. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so uh, Salvador Domingos, why not? His people said it would be a waste of time for us and an embarrassment for him. Um, Rebecca says that feels like an unnecessarily cruel response. <laughs> um, but but good news, Zava's signing with Chelsea. And Rebecca says, why is that good news? Well, because he's not signing with West Ham. He came right out and said it. I will not sign with West Ham. Uh, and what does that uh, do to Rebecca? What does she say, boss? Oh, shit. That's only going to make Rupert want him more. Right. And Higgins foolishly says, there's nothing Rupert can do. And Rebecca says, oh, great. Now you've jinxed it. Yes. <laughs> and, but I've, uh, no, nope, too late, jinxed it. B- uh, but I do think it's done. Um, which I Were love. either of you surprised uh, think- at that particular bit? I mean, I get that Rupert, when it comes to things, Rupert, like it makes her a little bit crazy and maybe not so little bit. But I was surprised at the, the level of commitment to jinxing. Like, it was funny to me, but I just didn't see it coming. So I was trying to figure out if I had missed something about her or, yeah. What was your reaction to oh. that? Right, if she was if she was this superstitious, yeah, I just didn't see it coming. Or maybe it's rubbed off on her being a team owner now. She's being around all that superstition mm. in the locker room, maybe or something. I don't know. Oh, that's a good point. That's an interesting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, theory. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Theory. I don't remember. I don't remember her being uh, affected in this way. I think it's just. I think she has. Fir- we find out later, and we'll get to it. She has firsthand experience, right? Right. right. About someone saying no to Rupert. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to. Uh, I want to say one tiny thing here, which I thought was um, fantastic. Um, this was unearthed by uh, John Brown Spires, one of the great writers at The Antagonist. Um, he, uh, I don't, I can't imagine how this happened, but Anthony Head, who plays Rupert, um, has played characters in his career named Rupert five different times. What? Um, so Rupert, uh, he played a guy named Rupert in the film A Prayer for the Dying in 1987. Rupert Cadell in the play Rope in 1994. Rupert uh, Giles uh, or Giles. I didn't watch Buffy uh, in the show TV, uh, TV uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Then Rupert Thorne in the film Jack Ryan in 2019. And finally, Rupert Mannion in Ted Lasso. And I was thinking, like, maybe when they were hiring him, sometimes you look at, you know, if you're in the casting, you'll just go, like, oh, what's this guy done? And you look at his thing. And I could see them being like, this dude's played a lot of motherfucking Rupert's. Like, <laughs> I guess he's Rupert, you know? <laughs> okay, but does that mean that he has a Rupert face or that we've now associated every Rupert with the way that that guy looks? Right, yeah. Which came first? Mm-hmm. The chicken or the Also, now the I'm going to figure yeah. out if there are other actors that have done that. Yeah, good. Probably. That sounds like a rabbit hole that you're going to really enjoy. Uh, There is someone. It plays a little differently. And I'm trying to remember. But it was a a Latino actor. And he played like eight guys named Hector. And it was like, oh, really? I'm trying to remember. I saw it it recently. And I just, just, like, one of those dark laughs where you're like, oh, this country's broken. And I'm pretty sure it can't be fixed. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if yeah. I find it, I will I will share it, folks. But there was some actor who'd played like eight Hectors in his career. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why does it feel like it's Luis Guzman? But if uh, no, it might not be. I don't know. I feel like he's played a couple Hectors. Oh, he has um, for sure. It wasn't him, though, because I know him, love him. Like, this was an actor I'd seen before, but it didn't have that kind of impact on me. But yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah. But yes, for in, sure. In fairness... 
Um, when they teach, uh, I'm just speaking on behalf of the white boys uh, out there. Um, when they teach you how to write uh, uh, Latino characters, they do say you're supposed to default to Hector. I think that's the, <laughs> it. Just it, uh, they, it they, auto they, fills. It, yeah, automatically. Yes. Yeah, it's, it auto fills in school. It's just a <laughs> preset. Uh, can't conceive of depth in another culture. But um, anyway, um, uh, Higgins. Uh, what I loved about this was Higgins makes this funny sound when he's defeated. When he's like. I always say he's such a great uh, physical actor and he, he carries a lot of tough lines and he does a lot of exposition. Um, so yeah, he does this funny defeated sound. Um, and Rebecca says, well done, like good job. And then he, <laughs> then he closes it out another little button with this like sound. Um, now we get the kinks coming in with a well-respected man. Um, I'm, I was very proud when I was, God, sixth grade and everybody was listening to Casey Case and top 40 music. And my favorite band was the kinks. And so I felt very edgy um, in sixth grade, just putting that out there. All right. So the kinks, uh, well-respected man starts playing it's great background for, for this particular scene. Uh, uh, we, 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 we settle on Trent Krim. He's on the hop uh, with full freedom through the AFC Richmond facility after watching practice. Um, so he feels, you know, they they do a good job of showing like, he's like, yes, like I am, I have never been back here before. You know, I have full access. Um, and, um, uh, he says afternoon to Will, uh, who looks away, uh, walking by him in the, in the hallway. Uh, he nods to another player. I think it was McCracken, um, that walked by him, uh, ignores him. Um, then you have, uh, uh, Colin and Bumbercatch are walking down the hallway and they see Trent and they stop, stop talking and he says hi to them and they both look away as they pass him. And then, uh, I love this moment so much. My God. Um, what, boss, what happens right before he walks into the locker room? Who does he meet? He uh, runs into Jamie coming out of the locker room. And he starts to sort of put his hand out like maybe Jamie is going to shake it. Jamie immediately pulls back, <laughs> says no. And then as he's walking away, wagging his finger, like chastising him. No, 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 no. You're not going to get me headbutted, fucker. Nope. And has yeah. to leave. I loved that moment <laughs> i was like jamie <laughs> oh god there's a pure like as much as we met him we've seen him go on his journey this is always there's been a purity somewhere underneath all of it with uh jamie that always made you go yeah i hate him but i also just kind of love him the percentage of hate versus love has a but there's always been this part of him where he's like there's a thing I'm supposed to be doing if I'm being a good member of this team. That thing is right. Not talking to Trent Krim. Like, <laughs> it's such a, like I don't know. I just, yeah. it's so earnest. I, you know, it, oh my God. And Jamie, Jamie has never been Nate in this show. He's been a, he's been a yes. weenie and he's been yes. self-centered and he's been yes. immature and he's been stupid. Um, but he's never been a, a Nate and see whatever they're doing. I mean, this writing staff, man, I can't like I they I I am I am being manipulated in, at some very, very deep primal level because I Jamie for me is starting to approach uh, approach Roy Kent status, like with how much I love him and how much like every time he's on screen, I get giddy. you really mean that, don't um, you? This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Right. I mean, especially because you know how much I love Roy and 
here, what this was, by the way, was a complete a book. They're so good at fucking closing dangling threads. This was a bookend for after the 4-1 loss uh, to uh, Crystal Palace. Trent waited outside the, the, the facility for him, and Jamie walks out. And, G- and, Ch- and Trent asks him a question. He says, hey, Jamie, what do you, how do you feel about the loss? You know, whatever. Some, I forget the exact question. But Jamie goes, hey, but I'm, it's not on me, right? I'm just one of 11, aren't I? And that mm-hmm. was good. Trent took it and started writing it down. And Jamie walked away. And then he had this thought. This Remember like, that's when the guys like, walked by? And he turns around and, he f- and said they were trash. From, the other, from Crystal Palace, yeah. Edging, uh, egging him on. Yeah. Right. And he... <laughs> and he made the wrong choice. And so this moment where he actually almost mm-hmm. shakes Trent's hand and then he thinks he has that beat mm-hmm. and then he's like, <laughs> he goes, Oh no, 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 no. Like, cause it was like, Oh, I know what happened to me when mm-hmm. I made the wrong choice. Like, you're not going to get me. It's almost like a, you, you know, the, the, the apple in the garden of Eden where he's like tempted <laughs> to do the thing he wants, to, you know, like, yes. Oh sure. I'll shake. Oh wait, what? Oh, no, <laughs> right, no, no, right, no, right. no, no, no. Like I thought it was so good, man. Oh, yeah. I think one of the other things that I, because I'm not sure if I've mentioned this specific example before, but Eric Northman on the first season of True Blood was legitimately a bad guy. He killed people and kidnapped, um, oh, damn it, uh, Lafayette and kept him chained in his basement. Like he did bad, bad shit. And then they gave him a haircut and realized he was hot and that everybody wanted him to make out with Sookie and completely changed his character. I did not want that to happen here. I hate when TV shows do that. I think actually, if you look back at Jamie across the seasons, the beginning of season one, uh, George Cartrip, I'm sure encouraged him to be an asshole and to yell at his teammates and make them feel bad so that they would work harder. So he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And then Ted started working with him and trying to get him to do what he was supposed to be doing. And then in season two, Ted did it too much and he wasn't being an asshole. And Roy had to step in and be like, no, you do need to be a little bit of an asshole. Like this is what he's doing for the team. He keeps actually showing up to do what needs to be done. He's a prick sometimes, but he's doing what needs to be done. I love that. We are watching. We we are truly watching Jamie grow up. That's to me. That's what you yeah, described, right? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, and we'll get we're gonna get into that more as this episode goes on. So um uh Trent uh shakes it off as Jamie walks away wagging his finger. Um it's raucous locker room. Trent walks in and everybody shuts it down. Just complete silence. <laughs> and they stare at him and uh he says, Looking good out there today, with his breathy voice. Uh they say he smiles, they say nothing, and then he goes, Cool, and he walks out. And Trent being Trent, um, he doesn't – they all start talking again as he once he leaves. And then he smiles. He stops and he raises his eyebrows in appreciation. And he's like, huh. Like he's, he's impressed with the amount of control that Roy has, whether it's just fear or whether it's respect. Um, Trent's impressed. And he, and he smiles and walks away and weirdly seemed to have enjoyed the interaction, which must be a you know, part of the – job description for um, journalists who have to go to places where people don't necessarily want them. Um, I could never do that. I don't yeah, know that's, how that people seems, do that it, seems but it's amazing. brutal to me. My feelings would be so hurt by lunchtime <laughs> on the second day. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that yes. Was, that's really interesting. I, I think it's interesting that Trent, and it just hit me now as we're discussing it, it wasn't when, we, when I watched, that Trent 
has got some Ted to him. And I'm wondering if part of Trent's evolution is running into someone who hasn't chosen to figure out how to navigate this world as it exists and, 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 and to be really excited or to be, you know, like you can tell he's done the, I'm super cool, you know, the clothes he wears, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting to me that he's decided like, Oh, I don't want to be a guy who just writes clever articles. I write, I want to write a whole book about what's going on with Ted Lasso and Richmond. But I, there's no, there is no, there's not an inkling of an idea that he is going to quit, not write this book give up on this it, to me it's more like okay i just haven't solved the riddle yet on that in that smile um which is you know super ted it, it is no you're right i, I mean i loathe to admit it but you're absolutely right um, <laughs> not not because i don't want to uh, agree with you it's because I, you know ted i mean trent kind of rubs me the wrong way but yeah this was exactly the same thing he had the that's right ted had the wanker did not bother him right at all he knew he was going to turn it around um so, um, uh, okay. So he smiles and, and, uh, and, and walks away and then he enters, uh, Nate's old office and turns on the lights and, and he's been gifted Nate's old desk. I'm like, wow. Part of me, again, I don't, I, I just have a, a I'm suspicious of, of Trent. And so I wouldn't have put him directly in the lion's den myself, but they give him, uh, Nate's desk. And uh, it turns the lights on, um, and then the kink song uh, fades out, and in walks the great Roy Kent. Uh, however, I'm certain uh, Brett Goldstein doesn't walk the way <laughs> Roy walks, with his shoulders popped back, and, and he's so rigid. Um, he's like a stone golem, um, and he just stares at Trent. Trent says, thanks for sharing your office with me, even if it was Ted's idea. And uh, Roy growls. He just growls like a like a threatening low, you know, lupine kind of growl, and he turns and goes to his desk. And what does he see at his desk, boss? Oh, flowers, bears, some cards, balloons that say things like "I'm sorry" and hugs and kisses and get well. Um, the the best one though is the card that he opens. It's a giant sea with fish on it, and on the inside it says "Plenty of fish in the sea." Get it. XX Liza. So apparently, along with the uh, I'm sorry gifts that he's getting from the other staff, he's also getting hit on. Yeah. Liza, for those of you who might not remember, and it took me a second, she was the one who kept the ice bucket challenge going. Um, and uh, she, yeah. She Plenty also snuck a uh, selfie with Sam in the background after his, his hat trick. So she's yes. she's definitely very excited about the fact that her life includes being around these footballers. I mean, she's not. I get it. Hey, go for yours, honey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Roy, uh, Roy studies that card and then like tosses it aside, grabs another one. And uh, uh, Trent turns around and says, so Richmond against Chelsea, that'll be your first time back there since you retired, right? And Roy doesn't look back at Trent. He just like kind of sits up upright. Um, and Trent gets the, <laughs> gets the hit and he goes, right. Turns around um, back to his desk. His phone rings. I noticed like they could have given us some insight into Trent if they had chosen some interesting 
ringtone, but they didn't. They uh, they used just like a ge- generic ringtone. He apologizes uh, to Royce. Yeah, it's my publisher. I'll be quick. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm here now. It's going very well, actually. I'm just getting settled in. Um, and then what do we hear, uh, Coach? Pop! <laughs> Roy. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. Trent like jumps. It is like a loud pop. Bam! And uh, he turns around. Uh, yes, everyone's been very welcoming. Pop. Yep. No, no. I I can hear that noise too. Pop. I'm I'm not sure if that is that me or you. I loved that. Pop. That that made me laugh. <laughs> is that me or you? Uh, yeah. You know what? Fantastic. Bear with me one moment. He gets up and he says, uh, "I'll take this outside." And Roy. They now they do a front shot of Roy, and he's holding a blue balloon. Is, is his next victim getting ready? And as soon as Trent leaves, he just frees it. Job done. Which, which I liked a lot because it means that he wasn't trying to get rid of the balloons. He would keep them around if he could. He just needed them to get rid of Trent. That's great. So, like, willing to sacrifice the balloons that he clearly likes for that. Yeah. Yeah. He'll play in a hurt knee. Balloon, balloon style. All right. So Barbara does a perfunctory knock and she walks in. I noticed, uh, so it's, it's Keelian and Shandy, uh, are in the room talking, uh, when Barbara comes in. I noticed that, uh, Shandy's bare feet were on the sofa, like Keely's were on Rebecca's sofa, uh, in season one. Um, Shandy's wearing leopard prints. We mentioned last, uh, last time how, um, how intentional some of the, the, or all the wardrobing is. Um, and she says, yes, your company credit card arrived. Um, and coach, can you walk us through, uh, this scene a little bit? Uh, so the company card arrived. Awesome. Thank you. Do not use it. Which I thought, wait, who, whose <laughs> name is on this thing? Right. So I thought that was great. Um, Barbara, I would love for you to meet Shandy. Shandy stands, stands up and shakes, uh, hands with Barbara. And Barbara, she's not, social graces are not at the top of her, uh, list there. So she says hello. And Keely lets her know that there's a newest member of KJPR. Oh, what position has she been hired for? And you can feel the closing in. It feels a little bit like when you go to the Dean. Um, She'll be our consulting for affiliate management and client relationships. Uh, Clearly, she likes to say she she, she, she pulls out client relationships. Uh, kind relationships, like, like she's like, woo, like pulls that, yeah. Um, and and then we get an impromptu job interview, uh, one that does not go very well for Shandy. Uh, we establish, um, oh well, first Shandy, of course, because she's professional, takes a candy out of her mouth and puts it into some dish or something on the table, uh, yeah, like a teacup or something, right? Oh dear, and then uh. Yeah, we established that Shandy has no experience whatsoever. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Barbara does this thing where she says, oh, you know, when she starts the thing, she goes, okay, would you have a seat, Shandy? Uh, and Shandy sits. And Barbara, like, kind of starts the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then Shandy, uh, so so Barbara says, like, so or something. There's, like, some you know, mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. inciting, you, you know, uh, words. She starts to talk somehow. She's going to begin the interview. And as she thought, whatever that is, that's when Shandy pulls the gum. I don't know what it is. Right. right, right, right. And Barbara goes, yeah, just put it in there. Put the sweet in there. And I was like, oh, God, like 
this is this is murder, right? I'd love to know what experience you have in these areas, and what does Shandy say? Well, uh, in relationships, tons. The rest of it, not so much. Yeah, not, you know that's gonna sorry. really that's gonna totally ran, uh, land perfectly um, with Barbara. Oh yeah, if there's anything, the one thing she's got yeah. it's a sense of humor about work. Like, yeah, and, you know and someone who prioritizes relationships over over achievement, um, you get that sense uh, that she would just be uh, good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, and she she uh, <laughs> the rest of it not not much. And she and Keely laugh, <laughs> and they do this shot again. Shot choice is fantastic. A two shot of Keely and and Shandy laughing, and then just a oneer back of Barbara. Just, just sour. Just no, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Um, all right, keep going, Coach. What does she say? Uh, and where'd you go to university? A bo- boss, you play Shandy. I didn't go to university. Didn't go. No. Okay. And what were you doing right before this? I was modeling. Okay. Thanks, Shandy. I think I've got it. She says Shandy like it is all the curse words put through. Yes. I'm like, yeah. 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 No, she says Shandy like it's a, it's an unacceptable type of name. Yeah. 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 Barbara is a good, good, solid name. What is a Shandy? Shandy. Right. right. Um, So you, so you've hired a former model with no previous experience, no higher education for a job that doesn't exist. Lovely. Well, welcome to the team, Shandy. And walks out. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. That is now, some high heat, man. Now here's I know I know it's coming. I know it's coming. No, no, no. I, look at look, I'm I'm actually look at this. I'm not actually gonna defend her. I <laughs> Okay. All right. So I will say it is not the best practice that Keely would create a position and hire it without consulting at least with Barbara. A slight heads up even would have been easier. Don't like make this the first impression, Keely. That's not great. But Barbara was a bitch about it. And you don't need to be a bitch. Like she could have easily said, this is a thing that we need to discuss together. Please next time come to me first. Totally acceptable. Totally called for. Coming in and being like, uh, uh, looking down on Shandy bitch about it is not the way to make this business run successfully. Here's here's the thing though. Okay, and oh, I'm going to wow. defend Barbara. This is ter- I'm not going to defend her. No, no, I know it's crazy. I'm not going to defend her behavior. But there is something that happens with um. God, it happens in families when one child is more responsible than the other child, and it happens in in workplaces when one person. You know, they say a Peter principle. Um, where people are given as much work until they, till they progress to the level of their own failure. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I, so Juliana, my, my better half, um, I always compare her to, um, in Pulp Fiction, do you remember the Harvey Keitel character, The Wolf? Oh, yeah. Where it does not matter what the issue is. He's Juliana will fly in and she will have the best possible. She sees the field immediately. She sees all the players. Um, and I always tell her, like, you should be like just a C level, just fly in and put out fire because you see it. You know, she never, she's mm-hmm. amazing at this. But the one thing that I notice is that, um, myself included, when you are that person, everybody in the world just defaults to 
putting problems on your doorstep. And so, right. And so, um, in Barbara's, def- Barbara absolutely should not have done that in, f- especially not in front of Shandy. But uh, when, when you're the person who has, who always has to put everybody else's fires out, she's the CFO. And now there's this huge new line item and, and a person's, you know, that's, that comes with all kinds, you know, not to, get into the weeds on it, but it comes with healthcare implications. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, no. Oh, actually it's, it's England. So not maybe there. not, maybe there's, yeah, you know, maybe it's different. Right. 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 But there's other, you know, uh, employment, uh, issues and regulations and things like that. And, and Keely's not going to have to deal with any of those. That's all she's going to have to, Barbara's going to have to figure yeah. out how to. So it's just like, don't, don't make a problem and put it on, on my doorstep without at least giving me a heads up. So yes, yeah, she handled it perfectly. It couldn't have been worse. Um, but still, um, I really understand what's behind it. Um, okay. So Barbara leaves, Keely reaches out and she squeezes Shandy's arm. She's really, you know, stunned about it. Um, Keely seems to me, I watched this a couple times to make sure, but she seemed even more bothered by it by Shandy. And so I was like, oh, this is cl- upward. This is class mobility here. This is Shandy's just used to being shit on. <laughs> so she's like, whatever. I knew mm-hmm. like. I think she would have been like, yeah, of course this is going to happen. Like, duh. Like, I'm a thief in the temple. She knows she's she is in the process of committing a robbery. She's using her friendship to get to a place right. she doesn't, doesn't belong, belong in her own mind. So, of course, someone's going to – the principal's going to try to keep her out of there because, of course, somebody's going to try to stop her. You know, she's trying to, quote, unquote, get out. That means society will invariably try to keep her in. Um, and so, but Keely is really bothered by it, especially coming from the lovely, um, corporate culture over at AFC Richmond. She goes, I'm so sorry. I'll handle this. She gets up. She walks into Barbara's office. She knocks on the door, which I thought was nice. She didn't storm in. She says, Barbara, I need a minute to talk with you. And she closes the door behind her. And Barbara makes this great look like, um, hold on. Let's just do this, right? Uh, let's just, um, Katie Wicks, Katie Wicks, um, a uh, Welsh actor and comedian from the UK. Katie Wicks is who plays Barbara. I love her. I love this portrayal. I'm blown away by what a great job she does as Barbara so far. We're only uh, two episodes and I'm like, I just, I love uh, her, her, how she's holding her body and how the face that she makes when, when Keely closes the door. I don't know if you guys caught that, but she kind of looks away to the right, to her right, and she knows what's coming, and she's and she's readying herself. Um, and Keely says, "The way you just uh, treated Shandy was incredibly rude. It was hurtful." And and, and Keely's got a she's 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 firing. She's a uh, a little bit wound up. Her voice is louder than Keely's voice typically is, and she's angrier than we ever yeah this typically is, see Keely. This is right. Like- uh, uh, at least a, a a nine on a Keely sternness scale. Like this is pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as she says, it was hurtful. She glances over and she sees the snow gloves, <laughs> an entire t- table full of snow gloves. And Barbara says, what? Keely says, that's a massive amount of snow gloves. And coach, what does Barbara say? Oh yeah. I collect them. Well, you know, the firm sends me from um, company to company. Yeah, wherever I go, I just buy a snow globe. It's a little bit silly, really. And yeah, and Keely says, no, I think it's incredibly charming. And it serves to diffuse Keely's anger. And to, to the point um, that I think, Coach, you made in the last episode, um, you know, Keely's trying, Keely's the Ted in this situation. And, and she's trying to, to, 
you know, re uh, sort of recalibrate how people approach working here uh, at KJPR. Um, and she really composes herself. It was a real tip off. Um, and also another thing you always say about Keely is she's an unbelievable coach. You said, you know, as far as coaching, she coaches everybody. She coaches Jamie. She coaches Roy. She coaches, she coaches everybody. Um, she coaches all the guys looking for deals and she coaches them in front of the camera and behind the camera. And now, um, she, she sees, she gets a glimpse into the snow globes and into Barbara's personality. Um, and then she says she, when she, when she, continues uh, she's composed herself and, and boss what does she say once she ha- has a seat she actually takes a seat and, uh, and she what does says, she say to Barbara? you cannot speak to people like that not here i know shandy's my friend and you're right she does not have the experience but she is smart she's eager i believe in her believe and yep yep she believes yeah, believe. yeah that, very specifically yeah. also i liked so much that it we talked a lot about uh, no wasted motion in the first season, that every line was a joke that also told you something about the character. So the amount of time that they take just showing the snow globes and then Barbara explaining why she has them and Keely picking up on that and understanding what that means about Barbara's experience at other places and how mm-hmm. Keely needs to recalibrate. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like a big reason why their relationship seemed so confrontational in the first episode is because Barbara is used to going into everything, not just to put out a fire, but to fight somebody to put the fire out. Like she goes into these different companies and says, we have to cut this. We have to do that. It's always a fight. It's always her solving somebody else's problem. So I think the idea for her that you would come into a place and want to spend flowers. They want to spend money on flowers so that everyone will like the office more. It's just ludicrous. Like she goes in to fight people. And so having Keely sort of take a step back and make it not, this is what you have to do, but this is the way we do things makes her more a part of the team. Right. And, and if you've been, yeah, great point. Um, and if you've bounced her, so, so Keely adds right at the end, she says, I believe in her. And she says, like the firm must believe in you to send you all over the world to all those lovely places. Right. Um, and you know, that gives a, that gives a, us another clue because it's like, first of all, no wonder she doesn't care about, uh, you know, when, when Keely says for flowers, Barbara says, why? Like, why? You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, this is, this is transitory. Uh, this too shall pass as far as uh, vocation, mm-hmm. vocational locations are concerned. Right. Mm-hmm. So why would you ever waste any time, you know, in making something, um, beautiful or smell nice? Because like, you know, her, her, her worldview or her, or her, um, experience in places is apparently short. Um, and Keely, uh, you know, taps into that and says, you know, they, the firm must believe in you to send you all over the world. And, and I, I like chuckled and I was like, yeah, yeah no, the reason they send her all over the world is because everybody gets rid of her because nobody wants her around and they figure out a, that's, that's the thing that I, that I pulled that, is oh. that oh. I'm like, go, okay, go ahead, she, coach. sorry, but yeah, that wasn't how that no, landed on me, but interesting. Yeah. I was like, oh, she's not a, She's a she's a gun for hire. She serves a purpose, but like no one, once things get established, they no one will stand for having her there. Um, and the firm, whatever the firm is, the VC firm, um, I feel like I'm like, is she somebody's cousin or is she she somebody's like 
I just thought, okay, there's something here where she has an in and they know, okay, we can use her as a strategic strike, but after that, we got to move her out of there because it's never, never seen it where no one can ever put up with her. She, she has no people skills whatsoever. Uh, she can establish an original, like a startup kind of thing, but she cannot, uh, she ca- cannot be, be seen by whatever the companies that we're backing uh, as a long term solution for the CFO position. And again, <laughs> I am completely spitballing, but that's, yeah, that is what I, that's what I saw. Boss, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. defer because I saw you reacting as, as I reacted. I'm curious what you, yeah, what no, I read it completely on. backwards. Not that they have to keep mar- moving Barbara because Barbara won't get along with other people, but that Barbara cannot get along with other people because they are going to keep moving her. I sort of saw it as, um, what was the uh, George Clooney, uh, up in the air, the George Clooney one where his job is to Uh, go places and let people know that they are fired. And so it's not that he is doing that because he doesn't care about people, or maybe he doesn't anymore, but like, you can't care about people if you're doing that job. That's how I took it. If she needs to always go in and have a fight, she can't make friends because she's fighting with them all the time. So I didn't think that this was she's uh, abrasive and unbearable. I got this as she is protective of herself. Yeah, no, no. You could, and you could be right. You could be right. And listen, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, like, as a, as a father of uh, kids on the spectrum, um, I always look for spectrum adjacent behavior. And I go, okay, yeah, she can't, you know, there's a chance she, it's, it's a, it's confounding to her. The, the human interaction piece is an absolute, uh, you know, like, like it's a question mark for her. She just does, does not, she understands numbers. She understands spreadsheets. She knows how numbers work. Um, I see that in my own family. And, um, but sometimes social interaction can be uh, like a bridge too far for anyone who's, you know, even remotely adjacent to, to, uh, the autism spectrum. And I don't know if a Barbara is, but sometimes she gives me uh, that type of vibe. Yeah, I thought, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I landed closer to where boss landed. I get, I totally am hearing what you're saying. I'm now going back over the scenes and in my head, but I got the sense that she's moved along because she is so good at this. And like that the VC just sends her because they're like, Barbara will get them straightened out yeah she's not rewarded you, you right. for making friends right. so she doesn't make fun but yeah i always i well not i always i mean so but i that was my thinking coming through it i'll add to that that i did have a, a fleeting thought that maybe she's gonna end up staying here i had that thought oh. with the snow globe exchange i was like i wonder if she becomes like a balance to keep, because Keely actually does have a lot of things to learn. The fact that she wants to make the office nice and didn't connect that, like it's still a line item. You know what I mean? Like you could be the kind of person who would decide to spend $10,000 on flowers, but understand that that's a choice you're making and start thinking about where you're going to take that money from or what you're not going to do or right. You could do that, but Keely doesn't do that. Like to Keely, Let's get some flowers like and flowers kind of appear because when you work for Rebecca, flowers appeared, but they didn't really appear. They got purchased. You just weren't in touch with any of that. Well, in, so I, in I fairness, do feel like there's a marriage that could happen. 
No, you're sh- you're absolutely right. Uh, in fairness, um, Keely, remember, in her last life was Glinda the Good Witch, and you could just magic the flowers there. That's you true. Don't have to pay pay for anything in the land of Oz. <laughs> um, uh, so so um, she says, maybe you and I can um, see how good it feels to believe in someone else together. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Sorry. Also, yes, this is going to work, guys. I hate to- <laughs> the 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 silent. People outside are going to party and Keely's going to win. Like, this is not, mm-hmm. and Barbara and her are going to get along great. I, this is Ted Lasso. And, and we're probably in the final season. We're not having the arc of this season for KJPR be she fails and loses her contract right, and right, goes, right. runs back to her back. That's not, no, she's going to turn this around and, and her and Barbara. And it begins right here. She says together. And I think that's an important word, especially for Barbara when yep. she's when she's this lone wolf. Even if, whether whether she's the George Clooney type and she's an assassin that's good at one thing, or she's it's closer to what my suggestion where she is good at this one thing, but also once that thing is over, you have to get her the fuck out of there because she's not good at anything else uh, <laughs> after that one thing, uh, or she's challenged uh, w- with the other parts of the job. Um, either way, I don't think the term "together" is something that. Um, that she, you know, that really resonates with her all that much or uh, until right now, because even she says, I've worked with this lot before. Yes. Um, th- this is, this is as, as whatever, this is as, as, uh, excitable as they get. And it's like, oh, she's worked with other lots too, I'm guessing. And she knows, oh, this lot. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like this. And that. I, it just doesn't, but it's how not many like times? there's some oh, bond between Barbara and the people, those four people that are out in the. Or three people, right? How I thought it was workers? telling that she said they. Because if she's worked with them before, they, they, they could qualify as a we. Yeah. But it's they. Yeah. Like, she is not connected to anyone or anything. Um, and the, the, yeah, so the snowballs make all the sense. But I thought that was telling that she's worked with these people before. They've probably, you know, made some companies work, others not work, instead of it being like, oh, we got the band back together, which would be a very Ted take on that moment. Right. Barbara's like, they don't do that. Coach, I thought you especially would love this word because this is the Coach Bishop version of Keeley, where she says, I I say, you know, or you say to your teams, me, and they say what, Coach? We. Yeah. We. And this is it. Right. And she says, uh, you and I can see how good it feels to believe in someone else together. Yeah. And Barbara, Barbara does this hmm thing again, just great acting. Um, like she's considering it. It's a complete, completely foreign territory for her. Um, and that's as much as Keely's satisfied with that. She goes to leave and, and Barbara says client relations coordinator and Keely turns around. Huh? That's her title. Oh, good. Oh, good. Because in case you hadn't realized, I totally made up the one I told you before. <laughs> and she, yeah. she closes the door and she leans way down. So her head is like by the, the, yeah, the, the knob. Yeah. Uh, and, and Barbara almost smiles. It's as close as we've seen to Barbara actually breaking a smile. Um, now we cut to the AFC Richmond facility. Uh, Roy leaves the facility. It's nighttime. Uh, and. Uh, Trent is waiting for him in the same place that he waited for Jamie, even in the same position. He always leans with his back one up foot. against the wall with one foot up on the wall, right? Yep. And I'm like, God, I, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I thought, God, what percentage? You know when they say, like, war mm-hmm. is mostly boredom, like mo- waiting around to fight? So it's like mm-hmm. it's like one of my favorite writers, um, I think he says, like, it's, you know, mostly 
pants shitting boredom until it's pants <laughs> shitting uh like um Fear. like terror yeah whatever um and and so i guess part of the job description is leaning on walls and so uh trent says uh roy and roy goes no um and just walks past him and trent says i understand your hesitation having me here you're protective of the team and i admire how much they respect you it's not easy getting such fulfillment from a second career i'm not sure i even got it from my first um maybe you could just give me a chance and my sense was you guys can weigh in on this i was like yeah that works for trent trent ha- he is a he is a killer and he knows the 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 exact amount of empathy to put in his voice he knows exactly how to approach something he he did a little self uh um uh, you know uh, sort of a, uh, what's the term i'm thinking of um self deprecation where uh, you know, hey, I, you know, I might not have even been happy in my main career. Forget my, se- you know, like all this thing, owning, owning his stuff, and he's not asking for Roy to change. He's just saying, could I just get get a chance? And um, and coach, uh, what are the two words Roy Kent says to this impassioned plea? Fuck. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I was blow. I, I love Roy. I will always love Roy. This is classically Roy. It's how he feels. It's what he's going to say. But I did, it felt, I felt a little bit like Beard going through the suggestion mm-hmm. box. Like I kind of went, oh, Roy. Oh, come like, on, Roy. <laughs> come on, really? Fuck oh, off, God, really? God. I had this totally different reaction. I was like, oh, my God. Why couldn't a portion of me have this gear? Why couldn't I ever? Just be Roy. I just don't have. I, I that yeah. would have worked on me. Oh yeah, I'm and done. I, I'm and, and also, Trent was sure it was going to work, and here's why: because there was nobody watching. He was sure Roy Kent is performative, and oh. all the grumbling, whatever. He's gonna. He's gonna. He is going to sneak attack him when there's nobody to see any of his bullshit gruff persona, oh. right? And then he goes, "Fuck off." <laughs> And I was like, oh, Roy gets in the car. And Trent, listen, if you go back and watch this, watch how Trent says, he goes, wow, okay. And he's a little pissy, like a little pissy. It's not, he's not like professional, like whatever. Like this, this shit has worked for him in the past. And I was like amazed that, and he was amazed. Okay, wait, I caught Roy with nobody looking and he's still, okay, so he's still, that, that's not an act. That's Roy Kent. That's what he is. Um, anyway, so I thought it was um, thought it was cool. You know, I have been thinking um, uh, in our last podcast, uh, Coach Bishop mentioned that he is the person that will say, you tell me when, you tell me where, I know the why, I'll show up, I'll be there for you. And then Coach Castleton, you said that a lesser person could do that in order to get something out of the other person. Not doing it just selflessly, but in order to endear them. Correct. I didn't say it at the time because I think you said there are two kinds of people, that those are the two kinds of people. I believe firmly that there is a third kind of person because it's who I am and that I will do something for somebody else because I want them to feel better and also because I want them to like me. Like, I'm completely honest about that fact. Like, mm-hmm. I I tell my sister all the time, like, 
I don't know how to do, I, I'm not going to remember to send you a birthday card in the mail, but if you tell me to show up to babysit your children, I will do that. Like, and also I'm going to do that because I like her and I want her to like me back. Totally honest about that part also. So I sort of read this not as Trent trying to disarm Roy or like catch him or catch him in a moment where he could do his earnest bullshit act and get Roy to drop his gruff act. I sort of saw it as, yes, Trent wants Roy to open up. So Trent opened up with Roy a little bit. I took it as him meaning everything that he said about not having that much fun in his first career and hoping to find satisfaction in his second career. Because he thought if I present my humanity to Roy, he might present his humanity back. I love you, boss. I, I love I love when you're just so honest about these things. I have so much quit in me, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, that's, um, a, that's an all time classic, right? But, right. So, um, yeah. Sorry, guy. Yeah. No, no, no. All you coach. So I, another take on this scene, or maybe another, not even another take. Another angle is isn't fuck off Trent Krim's version of I never thought it would end being coached by Ronald fucking McDonald. Yes. And it just hit me as we were reviewing it. It feels like that, like the same moment. Hey, man, I'm recognizing that you're the alpha dog around here. I've just come to say that I am not here to threaten your alpha dog status. And no, that's not what this is about. I just don't care to fucking deal with you. Damn. Like, oh, okay. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not complicated. I don't like you. Bye. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, there, so so boss's suggestion is, you know, I used to uh, have a, my friend uh, friend's dad was a motivational speaker, um, and he <laughs> it was amazing. And uh, he would go to his seminars sometimes, and he would talk about negotiation. He would say like, "You got to come into the boat," and it would be like if one person you're in a rowboat or whatever, one person leans back, the other person has to lean back, and one person leans further, the other person leans further, and until one of the people leans into the boat. Um, there is no, there's not going to be any negotiation. There's not going to be any compromise. And so, yes, this could be Trent um, leaning into the boat, making that first uh, move. But I have so much respect for Trent's intelligence, um, even if I don't like anything else about him, um, that um, I think he thought somewhere during the day, like, ah, shit, I got to handle this. Like, okay, like th- if this is going to work, that something in that man's heart has to break first. And he's like, I can't, I, so, he, I mean, he really is at an, at an impasse and everything else behind this is a bottleneck because if Roy says nobody talked to him, nobody's going to talk to him. So he's like, so I thought he thought, okay, how do I, what's the best way to approach Roy Kent? And whether or not it's a sneak attack or whether it's not, it's a, you know, a, a, some, I don't, I don't say that it's necessarily ha- has a negative sort of connotation to the approach tactic or the approach vector. But I do think he intelligently thought, okay, man, I got to do something about this. And I'll probably, if I can get him alone, maybe that's the start of, but, but anyway, we'll, we'll see as we keep going. Um, Roy drives away um, after Trent says, wow, okay. Um, And now we're the next morning, establishing shot of crowds and the Chelsea flag, um, go blues. um, 
And now we have, God, I mean, we don't talk enough about Arlo and Chris and how amazing these guys have been on this show and how they've set the scene and, and the dynamic between them, which is uh, reminiscent of, 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 uh, the dodgeball announcers. I feel like they, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say they started it all, but it was a big, a big deal with Gary Cole and Jason Bateman. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was, it was big. Um, uh, to see that dynamic of the more straight man. And this happened also to, to credit ESPN in the early days. They definitely had this vibe where you'd have a straight man and then somebody was a little wackier. Um, so Arlo says a new season begins and hope springs eternal, except perhaps for AFC Richmond. They return to the Premier League after a one year absence, but are widely expected to have a rather short stay. Worse yet, their campaign begins here at Stamford Bridge, the home of the formidable Chelsea Football Club. Um, and for those that don't know, Chelsea is one of the, the big powerhouses of the Premier League um, with Arsenal and Liverpool and Man City, Man United. Some, so there's some big, big honking uh, names, West Ham. Um, so uh, Chris says to be promoted to the Premier League is like going from a council estate to the penthouse. Richmond should enjoy it while it lasts. So these guys, are, are they're subscribing to the theory that uh, Richmond is going to be in 20th. Um, now we cut to anything so far. It's just statistics. Yeah. It's just a t- Right. Right. Um, I still, I still, as a motivating factor, I, I'm always confused by this again, because coach would have loved to be ranked 20th coming into the season. Right. Coach? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, you would have just been like, that's the best place to be. There's not a better place oh, to be yeah, ranked. The whole season. I'd be, yeah. Every, every time we did anything right. I'd be like, man, worst team in the league. Worst team. Yes. Did you guys know you're the worst? <laughs> you're the worst team in the league. Like, oh, every win would be me walking That's through right. the line, going, "Hey, man, you know, I was really excited, you know, to beat you guys. You know, we're the worst team in the league. You know, we're just happy to That's be right. here. I, oh, I'd be doing that all season, boys. I'm re- really proud of you out there. You know, I know this is going to be the last one you get because let's face it, you're the worst team in the league. Uh, I am um, quickly. I will share <laughs> it. The, the, uh, Middle school girls flag football where, you know, everyone makes their bones. Uh, but, but, uh, I, <laughs> so one of our, our kids, we had some kids hurt for a game. And so we played this one team. It was pretty good. And they ended up, they beat us that, that day. So that was our loss that season, right? To them. So we, we're meeting them in the playoffs. And one of my players comes over to us and goes, some of the girls from that team just walked by and they said, yeah, they're athletic, but they're not organized. And listeners can't possibly know <laughs> this about me as a coach. Wow. But I wow. took that uh as like the like the Michael Jordan meme and and I took that personally. So I just totally filed it. Like I was just like, oh every big play we made for the entire first half, I was like, you guys are great out there. Organized, organized. Look at that. How's that for organized? The girl who told me came running off the field at one point, and I go, girl, you know you organized. And she just started cackling, <laughs> laughing. The whole we ended up beating them. Like, the first play from scrimmage was a touchdown, and I knew it was going to be a touchdown because I knew they thought they were smarter than us. So I was like, oh, we're just going to go ahead and give it to the first girl. They're waiting for the reverse. Let's give it to the first girl. And she was fast. And the minute I coach would have laughed because I saw the girl who was supposed to be keeping the edge turn her shoulders before anything happened and I went touchdown oh really <laughs> she touched she turned her shoulders and I just went touchdown 
I was like, this play's already really? over. Really? I was like, this play's already over. She's out of position. This play is over. And she ran for a touchdown. And that was the first play from scrimmage. And the oh whole first God. half, I was like, look at us. Lord have mercy, y'all look organized the whole time. <laughs> I love it. Preaching the the uh, the uh, evangelism of organization. I love it, coach. But this is also, you know, that's that show. You're a real, you're sort of an enigma in that way because, you know, uh, you and I are both diagnosed with ADHD late. Later, later, mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. But that said, that hyper organization is part of the is part of it. I remember playing, God, what was it, the early nineties against you in um NCAA football, oh, some NCAA yeah, football yeah, league yeah, we yeah. had, right? Yeah. And yeah. and I remember seeing aughts, in yeah. in his office he had like a whiteboard where he was di- <laughs> di- dialing up play like diagramming plays, boss, for a video game. And I'm like, what is going on with you, like? Just like hyper, <laughs> hyper organized. So I had yeah. scouting Terrifying. reports. I had scouting reports yeah. on my board. I yeah. mean, I don't know why I would expect anything else at this point. Like that's the most <laughs> lovely thing I could hear. Of course you would. <laughs> um, okay, so um, now we cut to the cut to the pub. Um, Paul enters the bar, meeting Jeremy and Baz, and he's decked out to the nines. God, we love Paul. Yep. He's got a top hat on with, uh, you know, uh, with two extra top hats. He says, gentlemen, welcome back to the Premier League. And Bass says, oh, back where we belong. Pip, pip. And he takes the hat. And Jeremy puts it on and says, feels like we never left. And May, May brings over some food. There you go, lads. And Bass goes, uh, May, I got the fish and chips. And Jeremy says, I got the burger. And rather than switch the plates, May just manhandles them. to Fantastic. to be Fantastic. Right? Uh, and May says it's good to be back. Jeremy pats her arm, and he and Baz grab some fries. And now we cut to the stands, and Keely and Rebecca are seated. Um, and Rebecca says, uh, "What to Keely, boss? How's work? How's your friend doing?" Yeah, and Keely says, "Oh, Shandy, yeah, she's doing great." And then she gets a text, and what does the text say? Text from Shandy. What does the text say? Let's bring mimosas to work tomorrow. Use that company card. Even though she was in the room when Bab said, don't use the company card. Yeah. Yeah. She's got like a teenage mentality, right? Oh, um, yes. And oh, it, yeah. this is not to ridicule people who do this, but if you think that she was going to write out the word two and either two or tomorrow, you are sadly mistaken. Number two, both cases, obviously. Yeah. Great right. catch. Great catch. Um, uh, Keely says, yeah, she's just full of ideas. Higgins walks up with his phone out. Rebecca says, any news? Zava and Chelsea are pretty much a done deal. This is what Higgins says. I have the confirmation of that from a very reliable source. And of course, as soon as Higgins says that, we know it's going to be preposterous. Oh, what source? A friend of my wife knows an agent whose masseuse moonlights as an airline steward on a pr- on private jets. Now, she wasn't working today, but her coworker who can read lips, he saw Zava mouth the word Chelsea a lot. I love the stress of a lot. Like, I want you to know, I really got to the bottom of this. Yeah, that's the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Keely, Keely's response to all this, I love when somebody pulls the weirdest thing out of it. Keely goes, God, I wish I could read lips. Mm-hmm. Um, she's great. Uh, uh, okay, has anyone seen Rupert? Is there any sign of him? This is what Rebecca says. Um, no, Rebecca, he's not here. And even if he was, there's nothing he can do. 
Great. Jinxed it again, Rebecca says to Higgins. Um, now we cut down to the field where Roy enters behind a security guard. I, we're, I'm guessing the security guard is named, named Bruce, which we're about to find out. And um, uh, Coach, what does he whisper to this elderly, white-haired security guard? Fuck you, you old geezer. <laughs> the guy turns around and he is you, you see like he's so thrilled to see Roy hello Roy welcome back how you doing mate and he goes I heard the news and he makes the face mm. and Roy goes I broke up with her <laughs> um, and he goes why I mean you guys were perfect together and he's fucking Bruce now <laughs> now this is okay now I, I, I have a hard time I was so again I loved this episode. I love I love this season so far. I don't have any of the doubts that I felt in season two. And um, after, uh, you know, after we finished season two, um, I know that that some people came away still concerned or whatever. But I was they. I felt like they made me whole as a viewer, as a as a someone who appreciates the show. And now, like I am in the I'm just in the extra innings of pure enjoyment. And this for me was like a crazy emotional, this whole, this whole scene was, was like uh, all the way through to the end was so unbelievable. I just want to call it out because there aren't that many writing staffs on TV that can make you feel this way with such nuance and such subtlety and, and have built characters that you care about so much that you feel actual emotion for. So now people notice Roy. Somebody says, oh, that's Roy Kent. Somebody goes, Roy. Somebody goes, we love you, Roy. And then they start singing. The <laughs> I'm getting misty. I was so excited. I was so emotional oh. about it. Um, uh, I, and I was just I like, it. oh, my God, this is so amazing. Um, uh, he's there. He's here. He's there. He's every fucking where Roy Kent. Um, and people, it starts in one little area. And then in, it travels throughout the whole stadium. <sighs> <laughs> wow, wow. Oh, I, I think I just snorted a little bit. <laughs> wow. I, it was so great to see him. If you have a love, I've, I'm very conflicted about so many parts of this because uh, when I think about the show and I, and I stand back, I go, um, all right, well, a little, a little as I explain this, um, my dad uh, was on the spectrum. Uh, we never knew that because he was born in 1929. He passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 91. Um, but having raised children that are on the spectrum, now I know, oh, fuck, my dad was <laughs> like, oh, he was definitely on the spectrum. They just didn't have a, an answer for it. And he had to figure out a way to get through the world and get through the Great Depression and whatever. And he didn't understand people and he didn't understand um, – not that he completely didn't understand, but his facility was for things and machines and things like that. He was a hands-on kind of guy. And he would always be fascinated by sports fans. And he raised me to think that being a sports fan was, um, if it was a prime, I remember him showing me this one moment and he, he said, look at this, my boy he called me over. He said, I was probably seven, eight. He goes, look at this, look at this. And I said, what? He's got the newspaper out in front of him. And I forget the guy's name, but it was an, it was the obituary section of, of the newspaper. And it said like, you know, Fred Johnson, uh, age 75, uh, comma, lifelong Red Sox fan, dies. And my dad says, they looked at this man's life and all they could find about him was he liked ball games. And he thought, he said, I think that's the saddest thing in the world. 
And so for him being a fan of sports was something like, yes, you can, you can be, he would watch a Patriots game from time to time. He, he enjoyed the Red Sox, enjoyed the Bruins, but he didn't care. He didn't affect him emotionally. And he was zero connection. Couldn't tell you the players. He might, he might have known someone like a Tom Brady. He might, might have had a passing. Oh yeah. I think that's the quarterback, but that's like even someone of that stature, he wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have cared. Um, and so I tend to think that the, Ted Lasso view. Sorry, this is a this is a little bit of a soliloquy here. The Ted Lasso viewing audience is probably middle class, upper middle class, more progressive, um, more thoughtful, and so I'm always fascinated by the connective tissue that the show makes between people who. Um, uh, you remember, I quote, I think last season in season two, I talked about there was an Amy Schumer episode where she or a character that Amy Schumer did where she said, "Oh, I think people who watch sports have a low intellect." Whatever. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I, I definitely can see that. Um, and so you, so the show somehow does this bridge between people who know better or theoretically, right. And makes you love people like May who lives and dies with a sports team and Jeremy and Baz and Paul who, who are completely connected to these players. And so I come in into it with an, an intrinsic thing saying, oh, just don't fall in love with sports people. But yet when you have a player like Roy Kent and he's done all the right things, my favorite uh, hockey player of all time is a guy named Ray Bork, very similar to Roy in, in that he was mild mannered and always did the right thing. He didn't <laughs> swear. He didn't, he, he wasn't like, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, like mouthy or gruff at all, like whatever. But this guy was like, if you're supposed to pass, he passed. If you're supposed to check, he checked. If you're supposed to, everything he did, if he shoot, if he was supposed to shoot, he shot. He was the best player. He was the beloved, uh, uh, beloved from his fan, from the fans and from the, and from the players alike. And when, when, um, he couldn't win a Stanley Cup in Boston. And so he, at the end of players' careers, if they haven't won it, sometimes teams will let you, they'll trade you a, t- a contender so you might get a cup by the end of your career. And, uh, Ray Bork, I don't know why I'm so emotional today. It's so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. I'm like, I'm like, my dad is like I'm rolling, rolling, and he's just like, what are you doing? But Ray Bork went to the Colorado Avalanche and he won a Stanley Cup. And he came back to Boston with a cup and had a parade. He wasn't a Boston oh Bruin anymore. And I went, I've never, I've wow. never been to any of that. I never, I don't give a shit. The Patriots won umpteen Super Bowls. I never, I never ever would have gone to any one of those. But so thousands of people, um, including me, like whatever, uh, I had, I felt like I, this was a guy I just wanted to support. And so I was there on, when he brought the Stanley Cup back to Boston. And it just gave me that same. It's so stupid. It's not. It's not. I don't I think it it's so stupid at all. No. And I think that for me, one of the things I I got early on, and I don't know if maybe there was something that my dad planted there, or if I was just predisposed to this, or what. But I I, I feel like I always got the story of sports, and like. That, that 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 there was something more going on here. It was about um, who you are and how you you know react. Um, one of my you want to talk about moments that get you. There's a uh, in there's a there's a there was a North Carolina Georgetown championship game as we go through March Madness here, and 
the the Hoyas weren't definitely going to win, but they were definitely in good position. They had the ball. I want to say maybe they were down by one, but it was looking like, all right, here we go. Bizarre play. And the point guard, Fred Brown, who had been this, you know, New York point guard, whatever, passes the ball to the other team. Like, just like, it's just like one of those remarkable moments where he saw something out of the corner of his eye. And you get why out of the corner of his eye, he assumed that had to be his teammate. Like, people were out of position. But there's no getting around the fact that he just basically handed the national championship to North Carolina. And I will never forget the, because I'm at home, like, just distraught. And I will never forget John Thompson. And you want to talk about emotional. When he died, it was like a family member died. Like, I was not okay. My, my yeah. Quickly, I'll tell you, my first basketball game when I coached high school girls as a head coach, I wore a towel over my shoulder because that's what John Thompson used to do. And I wanted to channel that, right? So, but in this, so Fred Brown throws his pass. James Worthy takes it. North Carolina wins. You know, all of Georgetown Nation, like this guy is like the definition of a goat. And instead of treating him that way, there's just a shot of John Thompson hugging Fred Brown. And it taught me everything I believe about what a coach is. Like that moment, like I, you don't, that kid was out there giving his all. You hug him. This is the way it goes sometimes. Like, a lesser man easily could have, you know, walked away, walked off the court, you know, just he hugged that kid. And it got, I got, it felt like he would hug him forever if that was what it took. So I say all that to say that, yes, I get where people say it's just a game. Who cares? But so much about who we can be and who we are comes out there in clear ways because we can see all of it. Like when you bump into somebody on the bus and they do this, and they do that, like there's all this other extraneous shit and what happened to them in third grade. But there's something about a <laughs> hundred yards of a football field or the 90, you know, the, the, the baseball, like it's going to happen here. We're going to see all of it. And we're going to really get to think about it. Right. And I think when we have the Borks or the, the Roy Kent's in our lives, It's that's who I would want to be in life. Mm -hmm. I would want to be for my family what Roy Kent is for his football team. And and I think that's what grabs us. And how I didn't know that story about there being a parade for one minute, but that makes all (laughs) the sense to me, right? Like we it's not that we just love the Bruins, which we do. But we we we've come to love you, and it's really mm-hmm. love. Like you know, Willis Reed just died yesterday, and in New York, he's the captain. And he, what's amazing of all the amazing things that that he did, he came out hurt for Game Seven against the Lakers, and ended up he scored two baskets in the entire game. So like, oh, how's that clutch? Well. The entire, it felt like if you watched the clip, it's like the entire city of New York roared as he came out of the locker room. And I'm thinking, if you're the Lakers at that moment, you are, we are fucked. <laughs> like, yeah. like, we can go ahead and play this game, but I don't know how they lose a game where this guy limps out, scores the first two baskets, everybody's going ape shit. And you just go, yeah, you know, like, 
sometimes in life we got to play hurt. And mm-hmm. and and are you that person? Are you a Willis Reed in that moment? So anyway, I I, I hear you, Coach, and I would love to mock you as I <laughs> as I do almost always. But uh, no, I hundred percent, hundred percent get you. Yeah, and, and right. I don't want to uh, cause any more tears, uh, unnecessary tears. But I think that people who say that they don't understand sports would not say the same stuff about I don't understand music or I don't understand people who like movies or people who like TV shows. Like what these all come down to are different displays of things we like seeing humans do and displaying characteristics that we like in them. Like the reason we love Roy Kent is because he has so much heart and because he's going to play the shit out of that game for the team as much as he can. So like regardless of whether that's in this TV show or in real life, where he's actually playing that. There's a connection to those emotions that regardless of what the medium is, having a connection to that is big and important and powerful, even if it is the White Sox who haven't won a season in God knows how many goddamn years. (laughs) (laughs) But I will throw out there that uh, for me, that guy is Mark Burley. Never my favorite player. Always like uh, maybe the best pitcher on the team. Really solid player. Good dude. Uh, when he left, I think he went to, I know he ended up at the Blue Jays, but the next time that he came back to pitch against the White Sox after helping us win the World Series, when he came back, uh, he got a standing ovation. Because that's who he was, because yeah. everybody loved him. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. I think it, I think it must connect on some deeper level. All of sports, all of television, music, mm-hmm. whatever. It just connects in some primal level. Um, you know, I'm a lifelong Patriots fan. And you say, who's your favorite Patriot? And you assume it's probably Tom Brady or something like that. But it was a, it was a former Patriot, a, a jet named Curtis Martin, who was a oh. running back. And he, and Curtis Martin played the same way Ray Bork played, just did every, left it all on the field. And, you know, it, when the tough, when you needed half a yard, he got you a yard. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just these types of players are, are phenomenal. So, um, Arlo says that's a love. Now that's a lovely moment. Chelsea's fans letting their former captain, Roy Kent, know how they still feel about them. And Trent, is watching up from the press area and he's smiling. Um, which is good. This is a good thing for Trent. That yeah. was good. I like that. I like that as a beat for him. And I like that they included that a- a- in the edit. Um, I, I, and because apparently I'm the podcast resident Trent Krim defender. I would like to point out the fact that he chose as his career to write about sports means he is a, a journalist and considers himself a writer, but also what he's passionate about is sports. So I think just the sports fan in him would love the shit out of this. Like, of course he loves Roy Kent coming. We love Roy Kent coming back and getting the song sang for him. Like, if this, if we were real characters in this show, I'd be losing my fucking mind. And I'm sure he is. Yeah. yeah. And Trent has seen the arc and isn't more, is intelligent enough to process all of that and all of the, 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 the moments and the beats of Roy Kent's, uh, you know, amazing career and what this must mean. He, he, Trent was the one saying, Hey, this is the first time you're going to be back at, uh, you know, at Chelsea. That's, you know, he, he, he is mindful and, and plugged in enough to this, to this, uh, uh, sport that he knows the ins and outs of it. Um, anyway, uh, okay. God damn. All right. This is so hard for me because I'm still not done. I'm, I'm going to try to hold it together because, okay. So, if, uh, <laughs> 
Roy is Roy is uh, sitting there listening to the Roy Kent There's a bunch of Richmond randos. Um, you know, pat him on the back. I don't know who pats him. I tried to see who it was. Guys, I don't know. Um, uh, they pat him, and then he stands up and he salutes the crowd. Okay. Um, I was like, <laughs> I was so, I'm so, wow. I'm so blown away by that. But then they do an extreme close up, like a just the face of Keely, and. She, when you love someone this much, like she knows, she alone in the stadium knows what this moment means to him. Mm-hmm. She has like inside information. And she, uh, Gino Temple, she plays this, her face, the expression is so goddamn amazing because when you love somebody so much that you have an experiential moment of, uh, of this power, this much power, uh, the, the feeling is so powerful in her, and she perfectly blended how how happy she was for him at, with a tinge of her own sadness, which Rebecca picks up on, and Rebecca grabs her hand and does like a little head shake thing, and 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 I feel like Keely? I should jump in and like take over narration but also i want you to keep doing it so bad like what does keely say boss what does she say like she mouths something to rebecca she very quietly mouths thank you i i I wanted i think part of what's here and actually coach by you sort of bringing us into this moment really making us think about this moment roy's roy's thought around I'm going to, I'm no longer going to be a footballer is I'll be nobody. Right. And we even joke Mm -hmm. about the fact that, you know, even, even my beloved niece is like, yeah, you can play or not play. I'm watching, I'm watching a match. Right. So like moving on, everyone's going to move on and I'm going to be forgotten. And I guess I can relate to that. I remember telling someone, I may have told you all this, but I remember in high school saying I'd rather be hated than forgotten. And, and I think there's something about being irrelevant, not mm-hmm. mattering. And interestingly, you know, as we look at it here, it is unthinkable to Roy that he's still going to matter. I think he he's fought with this. I think it's at the heart of breaking up with Keeley. I think whatever. And, and you still matter, man. Like, you matter in a new way. We view you in a new way. You know what I mean? I never sat in the garden and watched Willis Reed play, but I still think of him. Like when I saw that he died, I immediately thought, oh no, not the captain. Well, he hasn't been captain of the Knicks for a while, quite some time. He was 80 years old, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Not the captain. Yeah, yeah. So I think Roy is, is finding out, no, you, you, you can still matter. You're going to matter in a different way sometimes, but you're still going to matter. Because mm-hmm. you're Roy Kent, not because you were a midfielder. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Uh, I just want everyone in the world to to be loved the way Keeley loves Roy Kent in this moment. Seriously, I just want I just want people to experience it, and I and I it always breaks my heart that some people just don't get to. Um, and um, yeah, this was a beautiful moment. It was like this hit me twice as hard it was really profound to see the roy kent moment and you know i know it's it's preposterous how many people coach exactly what you're saying uh coach uh uh 
I met Coach because he attended, um, he went to USC school, the Stark program at USC for producing with, with my best friend from undergrad and, um, who, who still, still, uh, my best friend today. And, and they, um, there's so many people that I talked to in the film industry who went into it for immortality so they could make something that would outlast their life, their lifespan. Um, and it's just, it's just a, you know, having that, the, the specter of things ending, whether it's death or the end of a career or the end of a, uh, of, a, um, you know, like it could be, it could be something as, as simple as you hurt your knee as a soccer player and it's over. Like all these guys are contending, you know, so what happens to Danny Rojas if he can't get his head right after goodbye Earl? Um, so, you know, the fact that, the, that there's, there's end, there's an end to everything, uh, makes it special. Um, and this moment where Keely looking back at Roy from what appears to be the end of their relationship is, is profound. Um, as these the people are cheering now, Ted Lasso as a show is not going to make you suffer too long or give you too much joy. Now they put a funny moment in. Somebody says, Oh my God, is that Zava? And somebody yells, there he is. And now the crowd <laughs> changes from singing the Roy Kent song to immediately talk about being forgotten, immediately start chanting Zava, Zava. And, and Arlo says, and the great Zava makes his appearance. Will he be signing for Chelsea today? What are you hearing, Chris? Uh, what are you hearing, Chris? And Chris answers like Drax from um, Guardians of the Galaxies and literally lists the things. Oh, I'm hearing all sorts of things. The crowd, your voice, a slight ringing because I bumped my head earlier. <laughs> Just amazing. It's ridiculous. Right? And, they, and, and like that, the show deftly steers you out of the saccharine suite and back into the comedy yes. and, and re-centers you, which is masterful. That is yes. That is what a master move does. That 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 is moving your audience where you need them to be, so they can they can properly absorb the next round of information. Yes, absolutely stunning. Not allowing it to last so long that you are tired of it, like knowing that cutoff. Perfect. So Richard, Richard, and um, uh, actually, um. Right then, Zava goes in the jumbotron and opens his arms, you know, like uh, like the um, Jesus the Redeemer statue in, uh, <laughs> in uh, right, like in Rio, you know, like he's yes, arms yeah, wide. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh Jesus Christ, this guy. Um, and um, Richard and Bumbercatch are watching from the field. Richard says, "Holy, uh, that's it." He just says, "Holy." Um, Colin, they do a little single of Colin, and he's transfixed. Um, Danny runs up to Jamie and Jamie does not give a shit about this. And this is going to be one of my favorite runners throughout this episode. And I'm guessing later after it, um, Jamie has, when you see yourself as Zava, why the fuck would you be impressed with Zava? Yeah. If you like, yes. If he thinks he's as good as anybody else out there, he, mm-hmm. if when you consider yourself to be a living legend, you don't care about living legends, right? He's got his own song, right? true. So and a happy icon, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, um, that's right. Um, no zips, no graffiti. Um, Jamie, uh, J- Danny says, uh, Jamie. He says, "What is it, Zava?" And Jamie goes, uh, "So what, man?" And and. This is a great, this is very easily lost for people 
who don't have subtitles on because it, it goes past in a flash. But Danny says, my heart is racing. I haven't been this nervous to play in front of someone since I was in El Chapo's Youth League. Did you guys catch that? <laughs> yes, but it did take a couple of times. I missed that, and that is very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how I missed that, but I did miss it. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's- Yeah, that is El Chapo, for those who don't know, is a, a former uh, Mexican drug lord. Uh, and the leader of the, I was it Medellin? I think it was the Sinaloa cartel. I, I don't know, reaching back, but um, a Sinaloa. cartel. Oh, Sinaloa, okay. Um, uh, so that's the last time Danny was this nervous when he played in front of a drug czar. And and Jamie goes, <laughs> move, man. Like, he's just like, ah, like, get the, <laughs> like, he doesn't want that energy around him. I'm like, this is so funny. And Danny uh, does the thing over his heart where he slaps his chest. Oh, my God, I cannot believe it. Um, And we cut to the pub, and Baz goes, wow, we're in the same city as Zava. And Paul says, thank God we dressed up. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, wow, right? Um, Yeah. Anyway, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, okay, now we're back to Arlo. The players are in position, waiting the referee's whistle, and we're off. Another season begins. Um, we got to the stands where Higgins is just t- snapping a million photos on his phone of Zava. And and uh, what does uh, Rebecca say to him, boss? Leslie, will you pull yourself together? Yeah. We pull, you pull, he's like a little kid. He's just like lost in the, uh, in the picture taking. Uh, he hardly puts his phone away. Now we get some gameplay. Um, and this is this is one of the big challenges because um, they do everything well on this show. Uh, but it's hard to tell where we are in the game. And I noticed they didn't put um, like um, they didn't put the clock on the uh, the Chirons or the, the the graphics. They There was no like I was like, oh, when did they score? Was this how many minutes into the game? You know, like usually they they you know you'll say okay this is the you know, we're the 32nd minute of the first half mm-hmm. or whatever you know like it's there was nothing like that so i couldn't tell where they were uh arlo keeps uh uh narrating hughes tries for tart but chelsea intercepts the greyhounds are in massive jeopardy now oh some invention look at that pace uh high pressure sh- uh, football and chelsea are on the board with a beautiful counterattack against a reeling richmond absolutely devastating and so we see chelsea score we don't know. It felt like it was like, oh, right when they kicked off. But um, basically, it was right before halftime, I think. Um, everybody in the pub groans. Uh, May, May yells at the boys, take off those fucking hats. They're bad luck. Which, again. More superstition. It, it's great. Yep. Right? Um, Jeremy says, same old shit. Um, Ted, meanwhile, on the sidelines, is bucking up all the troops. Uh, you know, he's like, never say die. You know, he's. Ted positivity till the end. It's Chelsea one, Richmond nil at the half. Um, and Chris says, you have to give Richmond credit for hanging on as long as they did, Arlo. Uh, and now I was really confused by this. Maybe you guys can help me because I was lost. Rebecca's looking at something on Keeley's phone. We cut to the stands. Rebecca's like looking at something on her, on her phone. She says, oh, that's beautiful. Like genuinely. Oh, that's beautiful. And Keeley says, yeah. And then that moment is, do you know what they're looking at? Any idea? No. Because Rebecca, right? This is a mystery. And, and and we don't usually, we'll do our homework and try to see if anybody's figured it out. And yeah, But this one's tough um, because the show, uh, you know, we're on, we're on the 
today is when the show airs, so you know, there's not a lot of chatter yet. Um, but yeah, uh, I couldn't figure out what that moment was. And the moment the beat was broken by Higgins gagging, which is why in the past episode I brought up like, wait, aren't his gags based on him trying to hold in the truth? But I said, I think they're mm-hmm. migrating a little bit because mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. he's gagging. Mm-hmm. Why is he gagging this time? Like he, he breaks their moment by gagging. And Rebecca says, what now? And, and what's happening, boss? He says, I might have jinxed it. And we pan over and Rupert is being led over to meet Zava. Right. By some big, huge guy. Um, and Rebecca says, I knew it. Would you please go find out as much as you can from the vast network of lip-reading massage therapists, uh, your vast <laughs> network of lip-reading massage therapists, and Higgins just scampers off. Um Rupert says, um, uh, no, not Rupert. Uh, sorry. Uh, Rebecca says, Rupert is going to land Zava. And Keeley says, you don't know that. Now, this is, uh, God, what a fascinating episode this is. I've already gotten my <laughs> fucking ass handed to me like uh, more than once already. And in this episode, we get two. Two types of okay, it's it's actor bait writing. I mean, it's it's not really actor bait because they already have the actors, but it's the type of writing that you do it where you start to, to give people chances to win Emmys and awards and things like that. And we get two of them in this in this um, episode, uh, at least two. This is Rebecca's moment where she where she um, she's real vulnerable and real honest. And when she says Rupert's going to land Zava, she seems to have like an inner knowing about it. And coach, can you walk us through what Rebecca says to Keeley? Years ago, when I was bartending in that private club, Rupert and his then wife came into the bar. He was, he was the life and soul of the party, buying random drinks for everyone, telling stories, just charm personified. And he left me a massive tip. And then about a week later, he came back without his wife and asked me out. Of course, I said no. Then he left. Right. And Keely says, what a dick. Keep going, coach. But then he came back. The- yeah, that's right, Biggie. <laughs> Biggie's fired. Biggie's not- Biggie loves this Biggie's part. Not Biggie having does it. not okay. like Rupert here either. <laughs> but then he came but then he came back the next night and the next night and the next and he would just sit at the bar with a drink and chatted me until clo- and chatted me until close and he just said it doesn't matter if you ever go out with me it's just worth it being here to get to know you and right. i love this I next line and i would love to come back to it at some point because it, it, I've thought about this for a lot of movies and songs. It's a fine line between stalking and romance. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then Keely, Keely says yeah. that, right. And uh, after that, it's, and, and after about six weeks of that, he asked me out again. And I said, yes, without any hesitation, because by that point, I just felt so lucky because he wanted me. He made me feel special, chosen. He made me feel like that. And she motions over to him chatting up uh, Zava. Yeah, and and Zava and Rupert are just laughing. Rupert's got so he's leaning back, super casual, but, but clearly making some form of connection with Zava. And there are people like that, you know, they the, the, they look at you, and it and it feels like the 
the the light uh, the mm-hmm. sun is on on you. You know, mm-hmm. they say um, Clinton was like a master of that. Yes, he's the number yeah. one. People, yeah, he's the number one. Everyone says, yeah. The problem with people like that is when they take their view off you, it gets real cold. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking back to um, episode one of season two when Roy said that uh, John Ning's Wings Knight was just fine and that they should make you feel like you've been struck by lightning. Probably struck by fucking lightning because it's Roy. Uh, but I think probably Rupert did make Rebecca feel like she was struck by lightning. Like, it sucks that in the end he turned out to be such a dick and mistreated and abused her, but that doesn't negate the fact that at some point she was fucking wild about him. Like that, uh, there feels like a bitterness there that Keely and Roy are not going to have because of the way that that turned out. Yeah, I, I also think it's telling that there's an old, old Rebecca. Yes, right? and yeah. and I and and that's something that I was told oh. years ago. Is oh. yeah, Biggie feels the same way. All right, enough. <laughs> All right, sorry. So, but 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 th- that you that the way you get them is the way you'll lose them. It was yeah. like one of those things of like, don't try to steal anybody's girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. If she can, oh. if she can be stolen, she can be stolen. Yep. And oh, wow. So to me, I never heard that. That yeah, makes sense, though. So yeah. to me, this is Rebecca in a way when Rebecca's looking at these, you know, this woman and that woman and Bex and whatever. What goes around, yeah. there's, a, there's a little bit of what goes around comes around to this story. Yeah. And honestly, I always did sort of wonder how... Rebecca and Rupert met in the first place. So I like having some background. I also like this idea that Rupert had a a different first wife before Rebecca and what that says about him. Like, does it change your opinion of him if he is now on wife number three as a, you know, 60 something year old man versus wife two? Yeah. Oh God. He's a serial predator. So, Mm -hmm. so he's all, he's all about the chase and, 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 uh, you know, like, uh, you know, sort of overcoming long odds uh, to, to, you know, fill his ego. He's disgusting. But anyway, um, <laughs> what I what I thought, uh, just, the guy plays such a great uh, bravo um, to the actor, Anthony Head, because, yeah, what what a ugh, what a gross, gross character. Um, uh, one thing that I thought was beautiful about this was Rebecca's um, Hannah Waddingham her facial expressions at the end, she looks when she said chosen, um, there's so much pain in that, uh, in that look. And, uh, it was really, really impressive. Uh, I thought, um, and then Rebecca sighs and she looks at Keely. It's so vulnerable. And we talked about how, you know, how dangerous vulnerability is. And we've, we, we touched on it a lot in season one. Um, and now it's, Keely's turn to Rebe- grab Rebecca's hand, and I'm like, God, what a great relationship between these two! I just love it. Like this, this, this is such a powerful friendship. Um, yeah, just just wonderful. Oh, now we <laughs> just just a great episode, just an amazing episode. So we cut to the locker room. Hey, fellas, listen up. We got one goal. We get one goal. We're right back in this thing. Yeah, right now we are being so unoffensive. We might as well be a Hallmark Christmas movie. You know what I'm saying? And then no one, no one except Beard knows what he's saying. Jamie says like, "What? What's that?" And uh, well, this time it is McCracken. It's like I don't know, shakes his head. Um, he says, "I mean, Coach, how many shots we on goal we have in that half?" 
And Beard says, one. He goes, that's what I thought. And that one was pretty much a mistake. Am, am I correct, Danny? And Danny says, yes. It bounced off my face. And then there's a pause, and he goes, but my face almost scored. And the place goes, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Danny. Oh, my God. God, what a great character. Like, oh, the place erupts. Um, and then Jamie. Now, here's, again, part of the Jamie the Jamie Tart uh, uh, arc. Uh, coach. And he, say, he says, yeah, Jamie. He goes, one idea. And Ted says, what do you got? He goes, right. So every time we're going past the halfway line, they're just, and as soon as he gets to that point, in walks Trent Krim. And everyone, including Jamie, shuts up, just stops talking. And, and Danny, who his last interaction, he was like, fuck off, Trent Krim. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes, Danny like shushes everybody. Trent looks around, f- shit, nods and goes, fuck, okay, starts to hit out, right? And Ted goes, Trent, hold on one second. He goes, Roy, can I speak with you? So I am losing my fucking mind. I'm losing my mind at this moment because, okay, let's keep going and then I'll talk. I'll say why. Ted heads into the shower and Roy follows him. Roy comes in with a huge smile, right? Because they're pals. They're pals. And he says, what the fuck's a Hallmark Christmas movie? And Ted goes, okay, this is a Ted we've never seen. This is a Ted. This is the Ted we begged. We begged to have this Ted with Nate. And Ted has grown. He did the work. Mm-hmm. He grew. He knew. He Remember, we, we would, we would, boss and I would, would, would say, we'd beg for him to take action. Uh, the moment where he said, um, uh, is there something I need to know about with, with the Colin and Nate thing and Beard? Remember that whole stuff? He wasn't, wasn't even aware of this stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and now he sees it, he sees what's happening, and he addresses it. And he has this tone we have not seen from Ted Lasso. It is not unkind, but it is ardent and, 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 and stern. there is a there, He's stern yeah. with him. Yeah. And I think that there's it's, a no bullshit part yes. of it, right? Yes. yes. Yep. Yes. This is what, and this is exactly what he was supposed to be doing in season nine of episode one when he refused to bench Roy. When Beard uh, needed season to Season one tell of episode nine? You said season nine of episode Did one. Did I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, but you, right, you it, meant season, yes. Season yes, one episode season nine. Season one, yeah. Season one, episode nine, yes. The other day, I also told somebody that, uh, hi, I'm reservations. I have an Emily. So, you know, I do that shit sometimes. Um, yes, but Beard needed to call him out and say, like, you need to bench Roy. Ted actually, I was just rewatching that episode. Fucking Ted never actually benched Roy. Never actually said it. Like, he started to talk to him. Roy knew what was up. Got pissed off. They made up. And by the end of the episode, Roy had benched himself by saying that he That's- was going to be... Yes. And why? Why, boss? Because Roy will rather quit Royce. than be fired and yes. be the person to take the agency. He does yep. not want the universe to shut him down. He will do it himself, right? Yep. Before the the universe has a chance to do it to him. I mean, this is like I'm just looking at this going, okay. And and the funny part, the little wink from the writers is even at the as most stern that Ted Lasso is capable of getting, he goes, but I'm going to need you to order off the vegan menu right now and squash it. He's still <laughs> like, yeah. and he's, if you see his mm-hmm. face and he's doing, he's like fully not angry, but stern while he says that there's no 
it, like he can't even talk without adding dumb shit to it. Um, <laughs> and he says, because your ego is about to sabotage a whole lot more than a silly football match. You feel me? Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, whoa. What? Right, mm-hmm. coach? Yeah. No, this was. Boss. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For I, sure. I, I'm just like, just blown away by what I'm what I'm seeing here. One of the things that I like the most about this is that this is Ted giving Roy really good advice. Like, your ego is about to ruin this. But also acknowledging the reality of the situation that Trent Krim is going to write a book. Like, he is there to write a book. So Roy is either going to be shown in that book as being the asshole that wouldn't let his teammates talk to the reporter about what was going on with the team, or he's going to be seen as the guy who like wanted to solidify his legacy before leaving. It's not like there is a lot at play right now, both literally and figuratively, but like Ted is giving him the heads up that you're about to ruin like that chant that, that you just had out there, all of those fans who love you because you're Roy fucking Kent. Like, they're going to think you're a dick if you keep acting like a dick to the guy that's writing a book about your secondary career. Interesting. Uh, that's, that's solid. I, I'm, just, I'm just blown away. This is this mm-hmm. is Ted coaching. This is when we say, yes. okay, why does Ted abdicate his responsibility and doesn't know about the false nine or the, you know, 442s? Like, this is what Ted – this is him this coaching. Is what he we are watching him coach. This is and nobody genius. else in the world can do it. He has to be the one. I wonder if – and 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 because I, I, I think there's a lot more in this scene for us to dig into, but I wonder if part of what happened, the two things here that make me think about Nate. One, did Nate experience the sunshiny version of what Rebecca describes with Rupert? Because he actually says that. I dismissed it because I was like, ah, give me a fucking break, blah blah blah. He saved you, you're a jerk, but doesn't mean that that's not how he felt, right? And he may have felt like Ted had come and sat at the end of the bar and told him how pretty he was or whatever, and now he's just treating me like I'm a normal person who he could drink with sometimes, right? And um, so that's one piece. But the other is that Roy... Oh, I'm sorry, guys. What is the problem? Hold on. Yeah, he's definitely not feeling being ignored. Okay, sorry about that. Where, where did I? Oh, Nate. The other piece, though, is in this scene. I'm wondering if, for the same reason that um, we got a chuckle out of Ted when when he when Nate thought he could talk to Roy, I'm wondering if he if he treated him like such a boy. He 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 engages Roy man to man. But on some level, could he ever really engage Nate man to man? I think he was always going to engage Nate as a surrogate son, if anything, right? I, and I and I'm and I'm again not excusing anything Nate's done, but I'm I'm wondering if I'm getting a little more of a glimpse into what didn't work for Nate in this setting that maybe wasn't his quote-unquote fault. I think that that is a really good point about not just what Nate was doing, but the way that Nate was being treated and maybe seeing more of Ted. Because Ted doesn't coach Beard. If anything, Beard coaches Ted. Like, Ted is able to coach some of the players, but seeing this, like, how he works with other coaches, we haven't seen before getting a picture of Nate and Roy. 
I think that there, a, a good rule of thumb is regardless of how things turn out, you can review your own actions outside of other people's actions and decide if you wished you had done something differently. So Nate's a dick and Nate ripped up the belief sign and left and like, we don't have to like him, but Ted could still evaluate how he handled that situation regardless of Nate's behavior. Yeah, for sure. A big, a big reason this moment. Yeah. You make a great point coach. A big reason why this moment works is because Roy is a man and Roy is willing to do the work and Roy respects Ted enough to listen. And so when he says you feel, this was not a discussion about, Hey, um, I have a theory. What is your version of theory? He's like, you need to do this. He's like, he's like, he's like, you feel me? Like, this was not like, <laughs> this was, you, you're going to do this. Do you get it? And Roy silently nods. Roy Kent, the great Roy Kent. Oh my God. My God. He's so good at taking hard, hard, the hard word that he internally knows already that he already knows yep. Yep. like when Nate, when Nate gives him that speech, right. He, mm-hmm. he knew that about himself. It, it, we, 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 uh, anyway. Okay. So Ted says, thank you. And then this fantastic part, Hallmark Christmas movies are films that feature women from the big city, fall in love with their childhood crushes. It's usually some fellow that owns a Christmas tree farm. Sometimes he's also Santa Claus or a prince. They suck, but they're great. <laughs> but they also mostly suck, but they're also kind of great. Uh, they're good with the sound off. And yeah. I was like, God, that is the Phenomenal. same thing we're talking about. Why sport works, why music works, why whatever. Something fundamental. They really tap into it with Hallmark Christmas movies and – you know, there's a reason why they work for people. Um, and Roy nods again. Roy nods. Doesn't say a word. Ted goes, now go fix this, please. And now for a third time, the great Roy Kent nods. Not a single word. Oh, my God. This I'm so – this episode just knocked my socks off. They both walk out of the shower room. Roy enters the locker room, and it's very quiet. Trent is making notes in the corner in his notebook. <laughs> and uh, Coach, uh, w- what happens? So Roy enters and yells, Krim! which, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Trent appropriately uh, almost shits himself because, of right. course, you would. What the hell was that? Um, <laughs> and uh, Roy grabs his bag his duffel bag off a hook and heads back into the shower room so it's it's pretty clear what trent's supposed to do if i'm trent i'm a little concerned what happens after i go around that corner but we shall see this is a great moment uh trent closes his notebook he kind of with this little pop it's so quiet you can hear the notebook close (laughs) i was like that's quiet that's like when you hear a pin drop like you hear a notebook close um everybody watches he heads to what I'm guessing could be his death by bludgeoning. I mean, like mm-hmm. what he's going into a shower room uh, and Roy has pulled out a bag. Like we don't know. This is Roy Kent. We know this isn't performative. Trent knows it's not performative. Um, Ted, of course, uh, nods and gives him the old head tilt. Like, yeah, head on there. You're going to be okay, buddy. Like, like this total Ted Lasso thing. Uh, Trent still tentatively, you know, walks in and then we get this amazing line from Jamie. What is it, boss? What does Jamie say? It's actually quite funny when he yells at other people, isn't it? 
<laughs> I loved it. He has heard he has heard Tart so many times. Tart. Tart. Oh, that was great. I just loved it. Uh, he's finally seeing it. Like, right, this is it. The worm has finally turned for Jamie, right? Um, now, uh, Trent goes in the room. It's a shower room. Uh, Roy is has his back to him, bag on the floor. He's rummaging through it. I'm like, oh, my God. This is like, do you remember? I don't know if it's a really old pull, but Lethal Weapon 2, there was a scene where a guy walks in to his boss's office and the boss is like, what are you looking at? The guy's like looking around the floor and he's like, I was wondering, just making sure I'm not standing on plastic. Cause he's like, I don't want to get whacked. <laughs> it, it, it reminded me of that moment. Cause I'm like, Oh, there's, you can clean up blood in a shower room. Like real, real, real easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Roy stands up, pulls a little piece of paper out of his wallet, slams the wallet into Trent. Like you hold this. And he reads coach. What does he read? Newcomer Roy Kent is an overhyped so-called prodigy whose unbridled rage and mediocre talent rendered his Premier League debut a profound disappointment. You know who wrote that? Oh, right. And now it's Trent's turn to nod silently. He says, I was 17 years old. This fucking wrecked me. And and he and he as he says wrecked me, he brings the thing up like he's gonna hit him with it, like it is like a forceful thing. And and oh god, like I'm just like, how many Emmys are they gonna win because of <laughs> because of this? <laughs> and, and 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 this is not even the great Roy Kent speech of this episode. Yeah, there's more Roy Kent coming. Yep. <sighs> Trent says, I thought I was being edgy. I was trying to make a name for myself. All I really did was look for the worst in people. I'm sorry. And this really reminded me, we've been doing this podcast too long because Coach has talked about, you know, what the, usually when things happen, you think of things from your own life. But I remember Coach being in a fight with his nephew and it just went on forever and ever and ever. Mm. And Coach was done with it and iced his nephew out. It was like it went to the point where it's too much. And when the nephew finally said, like, hey, man, it was like a text, right? Yeah. Coach, correct me if I'm yeah. telling the story wrong. No, you're text, right. text came in and goes, I'm sorry. And and Coach, you were like, okay, we're good. That's it. We're done. And yeah. Roy just needed to hear Trent say he was sorry. He goes, it's all right. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm like, it, oh, my God. Yeah. That's it. Right? Yeah. It, and I read this a little bit, almost sort of like uh, Ted's press conference in the first episode. This felt a little bit like Ted Lasso, the show, talking to critics. Like, you know, in the first, in the press conference, sort of saying like, oh, that's the, this is what you're going to ridicule the show for. Like, come on, I have jokes about the show. And this uh. saying, like this part saying, criticism is valid. Criticism is fair. Criticism doesn't need to be cruel, which even uh, when I have gotten angry with a show, I've tried to keep in mind, like, they are still trying to make a really good show. And so the criticism shouldn't be, oh, fuck these assholes who, you know, didn't put out shit or whatever. It should be like if Roy Kent's premier in the premier league, if he came out and he wasn't playing as well, you could say this was not his best game. He didn't play as well as we were hoping for. What you shouldn't be saying is that it was a profound disappointment. Like there are acceptable ways of making valid criticisms. 
I think it's an interesting point to be making at this moment in our history or however you want, because there's so much um, currency in snark. There's so much currency in like, oh, you think you hate that show? Wait yes. until I get back. And with the, 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 the brilliant screed that's going to let you know just how much I hate that show. Yes. And I don't, and I don't hold myself outside of that. You know, so there's something about what you're saying, boss, which is, you know, that there was a way. For one thing, there's a way to talk about the performance that doesn't make it an indictment of the person. Mm hmm. Yep. And and I think that's yeah, a but that's big hard piece. and takes more time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it doesn't right. get click hates on Twitter. Right. Yeah, right. it requires perspective. It does. It's not an instant soundbite. Sadly, that's how that's how you make a name for yourself. It's exactly right. That's how it works. Um, but yeah, beautiful moment there, and you guys made great points. And I love the the point from Boss about like a meta, you know, wink to the to the press corps. Um, yeah, it's all right. He says, "Give me that." Takes the wallet back. He says, "You know, it's funny. We had a lot in common back then." Trent says, "We did." He says, "We both thought." One another sucks shit at their job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Trent smiles and, and gives it a whirl. Like he's like, and now look at us. And Roy's like, mm, go. <laughs> and Trent's like, yep, yeah, okay. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, that's yeah. Um, they walk back in the thing, and now Roy doesn't yell. I love his oys, by the way. Uh, they they embiggen me. Um, I just love them. And this time he just says it. It's not a scream. He doesn't yell. He goes, Oi. You can talk around this prick now. He's still a prick, but oh, you yeah. can talk around. Right, right, but you can talk about right. And then this palpable, audible sigh of relief comes over the whole uh, locker room. Everyone's like, oh, God. Oh, my God. And then the first thing that happens is the guy that used to be the biggest penis on the team, the guy that had no respect from his players, the guy was that put gum in the in the box for Sam's money they said put money in the box for sam's birthday present and jamie put gum in right yep zero says hold on yo 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 jamie what were you saying and jamie stands up and every ear is listening all the coaches all the players are listening to jamie tart he says yeah man listen what i'm saying is every time we get past halfway they're just blocking up the passing lanes you get that and sam of all people goes yes yes that's right he totally agrees <laughs> with jamie and I'm going, what What the hell is happening? That's right. They're not marking us. So just keep dribbling until they stop you. Isaac, And then Isaac pops up. And now he's the heart and soul, the mm -hmm. unvarnished heart and soul, the captain of the team. He goes, exactly. Let's take it all the way and fucking win this. <laughs> yes. I am like, yes. I'm like, what? I am. So First of all, it makes me realize what a what an absolute dummy I am to be so easily manipulated by all of these people, right? The writing is so good. I'm fully on board. I'm fired up. I'm feeling all these emotions. And you just have, it's just this beautiful moment, this, this moment of clarity for Ted uh, and achievement as a coach, a moment of uh, growth, invisible growth for Roy, a moment of, 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 a challenge and then a form of redemption for Trent. I'm just like, what, what are we, what? I, I, I'm like, I'm like, this has spun me around so much. I, mean, I don't know. I'm, 
Maybe I'm alone in this, but I, no, I was no, just blown you, away by you're, this. You're not. I, I, I like, there are a couple of things that I think are important. In season... In season... One. Uh, they've run the, the lasso special. And Ted had already had a conversation with Henry about, you know, coaching. I'm going to call it soccer for clarity for a moment. Um, coaching... European football, world football, um, as opposed to uh, American football, where there's a lot more control. And he says, pretty much, what once they're out there, you got to trust them, right? And that's a whole scene with Sam. And we see when they run the lasso special, that he's like, I didn't even call it; they just did it, right? Like he's like, oh my god, you know. And I think this is the next step of that. That that's now who they are as a team. And they can say, this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Like, that's another level altogether when a team is able to uh, to conduct themselves this way. And quickly, I'll share a Customato uh, quote about that. He said, I don't succeed when I make a guy a champion. I succeed when I make that guy a champion and independent of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're headed here. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, and definitely not wrong about how important the scene is because we have witnessed uh, Ted being very involved in the players in the players' lives in some cases. We've also witnessed Ted being distracted and not coaching Nate the way that he needs to. And now we're seeing Ted setting up him coaching other people so that they could allow other people to coach each other, like going through everybody yes. on the team. It's like doing coaching the way that it's supposed to be done. One of my proudest moments uh, as a coach and a father, actually, um, we're out at practice. And I may have told you guys a story before because I love this story. But we're out at practice and a kid's playing cornerback, which happens to be the position that uh, Alex, my son, also plays. So this kid's a couple years younger. So the kid doesn't keep contained or whatever. The details of it aren't important for this story. And But the kid doesn't keep contained. And I immediately start, you know, charging over there, you know, to, to make my big, huge point. And Alex steps out of the, like, crowd there of the guys waiting to come in next, puts his arm around the kid, waves me off, and, like, oh. turns to explain to him what to do. Oh. And it was like, yes. I was like, <laughs> that's it. I was so happy. Like, I was like, I was like, it's just a moment in practice. It's whatever, but it's what I believe in. And uh, yeah, pretty, pretty astounding. So anyway, there you go. Amazing. Pretty cool moment. God, that's beautiful. Love Alex. Love you, coach. Love you, boss. My God. We're going to stop here, everybody. Um, And we're going to pick it up um, in part three. this is this episode. We 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 could we could blast through, but there's some really big oh, stuff no. coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I really want to make sure we we have time to to really really experience it. Yeah. it and go through it. Yeah, um, Coach Lightning Fast. Where can people find you if they want to find you? At BK Two LA on Instagram, uh, Facebook, both for Align Performance and my personal uh, Facebook page. And if you really want to get into Align Performance and what we're doing on that coaching front, We Align is our online community. We Align, all one word, 
www.alignp.com. So uh, we'd love to uh, connect with everybody. That's my favorite thing when you also, when you say that little thing at the end, like, hey, can't wait to see you there. Like, like just <laughs> love you, coach. Love uh, you, boss, where do people find you? Uh, on Twitter, retweeting too many things at Demily Chambers, like Emily, if I were dumb. And also now um, getting better at writing at the Antagonist blog. And uh, what was the, uh, what is the URL for the Antagonist? Antagonistblog.com. Antagonistblog.com. Um, the um, one thing I'll say is we do a ton of Ted Lasso writing um, during the season. So if you want more Ted Lasso and you can't get enough, uh, visit us at antagonistblog.com and at pajiba.com. Uh, two independent, writer owned, writer run blogs and support your small independent blogs. Um, until next time, um, boss, I think. It's boss's turn. Yeah. Until mm-hmm. next time, which is part will be part three for this episode. Our first part three because this episode is so <laughs> good, it deserves that. Uh, until next time, we are Richmond till we die. Woo! The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com. <laughs>